Dearly beloved, welcome to the annual Dub Talk Fireworks Show. I'm not sure how we got the license to launch a rocket in the first place, but that's what happens in the Dub Talk chat sometimes. It's great to see you all here at the sacred place where we shared so many memories throughout the year. From dragon shenanigans to the perils of body swapping. <sighs> My favorite cute boys and cute girls alike. Sword fights to romance. Even that one misadventure with the mortal sins that we all had to go to confession for. It's time we celebrate with a bang. A bang zoom, if you will. <laughs> you of course, before we launch this bad boy into the stratosphere, let's get the usual disclaimer out of the way. Warning. Dub Talk podcast may contain language that is not suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there is always the possibility that spoilers could occur for certain anime, so be very careful in case a series you haven't finished yet is being discussed. And finally, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and do not reflect Dub Talk as a whole. Alright, enough of this legal fine print. Let's light this baby up in three, three two, two, one. one. Blast off! Woohoo! Hello, super peace busters, and welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where we get together at the secret base and talk about recent dubs that have come out from the fine people who dub all of our Japanese cartoons, or sometimes, not the recent ones, but more old school ones that are actually lodged in our memory as classic anime, and finally we're gifted with a dub, and in that case we have to put on our extra special glasses and get our, our extra special mugs to talk about the series and go over the dub. I am your host, Noah Clue, the leader of the Super Peace Busters tonight, as I go forward in superhero mode to introduce the fine folks at the super secret base, and god, this is already, I'm starting to cry here trying to talk about all of this. Alright, help me out here, guys. Hi, I'm Andrew, a member of the Super Peace Busters, and I can safely say I have several boxes of tissues next to me without it sounding weird. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> We're going to need all of those tissues, so thank you for bringing those. <sighs> and to, <sighs> to the right, we have the... Gla I, I'm, I'm going to guess you're going to be the glasses-wearing member of the group who is studious, keeps us all in line, and has a secret crush on the asshole character from the show. It's Lilac! <laughs> Sir, you're mistaking me for Gigi and her love of asshole characters, first of all. And second of all, since when were you the leader of the Super Peace Busters? Well, since now, when? Now, see, you're getting into the... We're gonna get our emotions out and yell at each other in the last episode because that is a big part of the show. And then we're just gonna just cry together and then it's... Uh, guys, it's Sadness Fiesta again. So... We had Orange last year and this year, oh lord, it's worse. Can we it's, talk about how kind of amazing it is that we're doing this one in particular? Actually, did we even say the name of the show yet? No, no. I'm, I'm waiting for a pause in the dialogue. Um, <laughs> which there never is on this podcast, which is good. It's good that we have no breaks. That's okay. But, <laughs> Fuck it, we'll do it live. Yes. Well, actually, interesting you mentioned live because uh, one of the characters is not alive in the show. Oh, but God, don't which, 
Which show could that be? So I mentioned at the top of this that we're talking about an older series, and that is true, because back in 2011, there was a little series by a little upstart animation studio called A1 Pictures that hit the airways and sent everyone who watched it into emotional turmoil. And they all put it at the top of their year-end list as well, because it was just that good. I am, of course, talking about... It's got a very long title to it, but you all know it best as Anohana, or we still don't know the name of the flower we saw that day. I thought it was just the flower we saw that day, but I... I, it, it, I think it goes like Anohana, the flower we saw that day. It's like a mashup of the two. Okay. Well, the full title. I mean, if you want me to, I will pull up the full Japanese title just to. We we don't we don't full, need I'm that level. Sure, I'm, I'm about to say the full Japanese title is probably what Noah said, but like the mashed up title between the two is Anohana, the flower we saw that day. That is correct, but the full Japanese word it, title is Anohimina Hana no Namoai o Boku Tachi wa Mada Shiranagai. Nerd. Wow. That, that I butchered the Japanese. I apologize. I'm sure you did, but I'm impressed you did that. No, but say one that is a long ass title, and two, if we have just offended anyone who is Japanese, we're sorry. We so <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sure. I'm sure we've more than a couple regrudges. But anyways, Probably. Noah, before we begin, could you explain the history of this particular show to us in the states? As well, well as give a summary of the show, that would be very nice. That was I, I, I love the fact that you guys already know what we do on this podcast to the point that you can actually point out the script before we even get to it. It's like <laughs> you're seeing it from the future. No, it's like we've been doing this for almost three years now, man. <laughs> and <laughs> 100 episodes, almost. Almost. Not quite, we're getting there. We're, we're almost there. But okay, Just thank you for asking about both what's the show about. First of all, yes. this show is a... Okay, it's very sad because what happened is... Five years ago, from the story's uh, initial starting point, six friends lost one of their good friends. The six characters lost Menma, who died, and they were only about ten years old at that point. And five years later, into the present day, none of them have been able to move forward. Um, Jinta is uh, an emotional shut-in who can't face reality. Um, uh, Anaru is uh, like a flighty gal girl who just does what all of her friends do. Popo is traveling the globe, and the other two are basically, well, well okay, they're They're SAT students. press students, basically. But you could argue that also means having no life as well. But fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on your circumstances, Menma's ghost decides to come back five years later and urges all of the characters of this group known as the Super Peace Busters to get together and grant her wish that will hopefully send her off to heaven. What that wish is, we don't quite know yet, but we do know that it can only be granted when all six of them are together again. The trick of the show, however, though, is that only the leader of the group, at least when they were kids, Jinta, or Jintan, can see Menma and hear her, and it takes a while to convince all the rest of the characters that Menma has come back, and even longer for them to get out their emotions and move forward after that fateful day that broke them all apart. That is a emotional turmoil of a show, and someone decided to give it a dub finally. Because, like I said, that show came out six years ago from this recording, back in 2011. I mean, let's face it, this is the year of mythical dubs. Like, Hana is among them! Like, what's going on? Like, just to give a hunt, uh, I think before, like, Aniplex of America was even really a thing, uh, Nice America picked this one up, released yes, it sub-only... And 
basically that's all there was for a number of years, and the 480p quality of Crunchyroll until Anaplex of America got this one back. Which, here's the thing, usually when Anaplex of America takes a show back, boom, dead, gone forever. But this one's interesting. No, they actually went back and gave this series a proper dub and put it up for us to view on streaming. And you know yeah, what? Yeah, that's the surprising part. You know what? We, were, we didn't have to buy the show, and it is not on Netflix currently. <laughs> and you know what? Thank you, Anaplex, is a phrase I don't usually get to say, but yeah. you know what? Thank you, Anaplex. Thank you for using your strange Go90 uh, streaming surface. I, it's odd, but I appreciate free data on my Verizon phone with yes. literally like a 15, 30 second ad, and that's it. Yeah. If I recall correctly, aside from Nice America holding the rights for it originally, uh, the release that it had went out of print, of course, and then I think Aniflex mm -hmm. had a run of the Anohanam film. Yes, they did, right. which was also, it was also out of print. It was, it was, yeah. I thought that was still in print right now. The, the film itself, but not the show. The film itself I, is basically just a compilation of the TV no, show no, story. No, I know. I think that's still, well, in, print. Well, well, I think that's still in print, though. Well, okay, the point is still is that after it, a while, this awesome. is a, a weird instance where something got dubbed that was originally released sub-only, and now, many years later, it was, it was apparently popular enough that Aniplex decided it was worth a dub. And I don't think any of us are complaining about that because... No. Thank no. you, Aniplex. This is... This is one of those shows that's, like, yeah. up there for me. Probably, like, top 10 or 20. Yeah, absolutely. And like Andrew was saying, it's weird to say thank you to Aniplex, but the fact that we are fully able to see it without having to spend, like, 100 bucks, it's and purchase a Netflix account, even if it, it's not even on Netflix anyway, but my point still stands. But... Yeah, this, this I don't know what's in the water with these licensing companies <laughs> because this is like the third out of maybe like four or five that we're talking about in the near future that are basically these mythical English dubs. It's a Christmas miracle. It's it's multiple weird. times over. Because uh, let's face it, at the time of recording this, we've already recorded the we've already recorded and released the Gosik episode, and the night before recording this, we recorded the Hyoka episode, and we still have because we already announced it, we're going to be talking about Haikyuu, and there's actually one other that's still in the works right now too. It's right, but, but that's it's not what like, we're talking about uh, tonight though. No, it's just weird. It's like what is in the water right now? <laughs> Hopefully, amazing, and I love oh! it. Oh, oh God! I almost went somewhere bad with that. What? Oh no! You said what's in the water, and yeah. I almost were you went thinking for, of the rip? I almost went for the cheap shot. Oh fuck! No, Andrew. no, no, Andrew, you, no! This is what happens when we meander too long. I go to dark places, but you know what? Andrew, yeah. go into your other corner. Okay. Stop it. So, that <laughs> being go. said, I think we've gone on and uh, long enough. I ha so, I think it's time we dive. Oh god damn it! No. Mm. Andrew, Andrew stop talking. Fired. Let Noah talk. I are defired like a firecracker. You are fired in outer space. You are fired. <laughs> Andrew, With Andrew, a big bamboo stop talking. Shoot, you are fired. Andrew, stop talking before you make it worse. Noah is in charge here. <laughs> Thank you, Lila. Please. Lyla. This is why I I brought both of you along to keep both of you in check. 
And luckily, this is why this is a three-person episode, because there's so much in this show. There, It's going to be... Okay, now to oh. let all you people know, we are going to talk about the English cast members who put this together. We will be talking about some of the minor characters, but I know that all of you who are listening to this came to hear about the top six. We'll get to those, but there's a couple other smaller characters to talk about. But before we get to even those, we should probably talk about the head honcho, the big cheese, the big kahuna, the director, and the scriptwriter of this show... And um, as per, this is a show that even though all of us saw it before it came out in dub, none of us uh, are going to be talking about predictions because we just want to get into the meat of discussing who was cast and how their performances were on that I, one. If I recall at the time before, when this, it was announced this was even getting a dub, everyone when it just came out of the blue. It was one of those where it was like, what? It's like, oh, this <laughs> and we is didn't have And we didn't have time we to never, make predictions. It, it would be like if they released a dub of, uh, like, um... What was that one show that came out a while ago? It was like, or any of the Baki Monogatari series would be like, no. none of us ever made a prediction for this. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, you could say that probably about Gosek and Hyoka, actually. There was no, <laughs> no time one made to predictions prepare. because it was so out of the came blue. came out of the blue. Still. So, okay, speaking of coming Point, out of the blue, seven. the main man who is actually both directing and script writing this bad boy is everyone's favorite badass over in the California district. Lilac's favorite personal crush, Patrick Seitz. Since when was he my personal favorite crush? First Man. Of all? Well, because he directed and wrote the script for one of your favorite shows, Monster. Did you he? You are not wrong. Did you are he? Not wrong. Yes, I did not he know did. That. He, he also, absolutely did. Also, to cover uh, the wide range of stuff that he's done before, he's also he was also a scriptwriter and director. Yes, both of those jobs on shows like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, mm-hmm. Girls Bravo, which I'm sure he's very proud of. And probably most relevant to this particular show we're going to be talking about, last year's hit dub, Your Lie in April. Yeah. Which shares many similarities to Anohana, which I'm sure we'll be comparing back and forth throughout the series. Not least of which now is sharing a director and scriptwriter for the English dub. Now, I guess uh, the best way to go about this is um, to say what we thought about Patrick Seitz's directing and scriptwriting on this. Um, Andrew, I know that you're eager to get out of the cage and tell us, so what were your thoughts <laughs> going through this 11-episode adventure? Okay. You sure you, want, you sure you want to let him out right now? Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. I've got the whip here. It's okay. And I've actually okay, gonna, good. It's okay. It, it's I'll got, be, con- you know, like, I'll, I'm under control. I honestly, I have a lot of notes for this show in particular, so I'll actually keep this pretty concise. Um, <clears throat> before I go into, I remember the first thing I wrote was, this man is basically just a huge fucking teddy bear man. Fuck. End quote. <clears throat> I mean, you're not wrong. Okay. So, there's the amount of emotional range, nuance, and exceptional performances that he had to go out of and bring out of these actors probably was not easy. If I was to pinpoint one scene in particular where I feel this truly shined was the beginning of episode 11 where all five of them are at the shrine because there's no easy oh, you're, you're already breaking my heart here see oh. see here let's put it like this uh there's no way to talk about that scene individually because that is all of them together and in that yeah. scene that is basically everything comes out where everything that's been on their chest all the guilt all the heartache everything comes out in like this huge fiery emotional spew where it seems like it's so angry and so furious and so sad, nobody could physically ever come back from that again 
without their lives being forever changed. Yet, in a single instant, they just notice Anaru's eyelash, her fake eyelash is falling off. And the entire mood of the room changes to everybody just laughing hysterically at this stupid eyelash thing falling egg off. And everybody comes together. Everybody's calmed and even a little relieved and more level-headed now. That scene impressed me in the sub because it's the most natural I've seen of like a big heated fight. Because I've had those with my family and with my friends. And then everything's like it feels like you're going to die or everything's ruined. And then something dumb happens that everybody just starts laughing. And then the scene is reunited. To get natural reactions from five different people simultaneously, some of them were major outbursts too, to get genuine laughter and emotional, like, catharsis, is fucking impressive. Like, I'm glad you mentioned the word catharsis most impressively, because that, that is what that final episode is all about. It's yeah. the accumulation of all of that angst building up, finally being relieved, because I, I don't know about you guys, but... Watching a lot of the episodes, I was thinking a lot of their problems could be solved if they just talked it out with one another. Oh yeah, ab absolutely, absolutely. Secret. So, uh, un unfortunately, these are also teenagers. And, so. Yeah, which I mean, shit's even, stupid if you're a teenager. Teen teens are dumb. So, we were teens once. So, come on now. Uh, to wrap up my final thoughts, um, Patrick Seitz, this man, both his direction and script, takes you for a wild ride, and he brought his a game once again. I would I wouldn't say that this is as good as your Lion April's dub was. I'll take it further, and I'm gonna say I think it's even better. Both Wow. Yeah. That's have, that's strong words. I you're gonna have a stand lot of your by it. Wow. You're, okay. yeah, not, your Lion April fan. Also You were trying you were almost saying you're in it. Unrelated, 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 unrelated. <laughs> um, I actually think there's, there's, yeah. there's some notable changes in the script itself, especially going from mm -hmm. Japanese, but I think all of it actually works pretty well. Most, most okay. of them all save to a certain character, but I think the changes are natural for the English language. They lurk well, some of them are funny, and some of them are effectively as heartbreaking. So yeah, uh, direction and script writing, fucking A-plus job, goddamn. Well, okay. Lilac, I am assuming, though, then you're going to say that you did not like the direction and it needed to be redone and that it was the horrible dub all around, right? As the if, if, we're, if, if you're trying to uh, pull some shit like you did with Yoka last night, you're not going to get an answer like that from me. I, it, um, we, we need, like, dissenters in the group, but we, we well, don't have any tonight, do we? No. Probably not, honestly, because my, my instant reaction when I initially learned that Patrick Seitz was the, the director and the writer for the show... It was probably in the best possible hands that I could ever hope for. Because, to be fair, I still haven't finished the dub for Your Lion April past what I initially watched when we were covering that a couple years ago. I need to get back to that. Wow. But, yeah. what, but from what I had remembered and what I had seen of Your Lion April, Patrick was able to capture both in the writing and the direction those very intense moments, those very emotional pieces it's almost like there are parts where it's like you're going through therapy because you're watching these characters like try and reevaluate themselves and it's the say it's basically the same thing here because you have essentially i'm gonna say five characters menma's not really involved in this group and, and to this extent you have these five characters with so much guilt so much regret 
about what happened. And they also have so many secrets, and it's you you grad it's this roller coaster of an emotional ride where you're gradually seeing these five characters relive those ex- not only relive those experiences but finally have the chance to let them go to finally have the chance to face it head on and to move past it and it's such an emotional roller coaster ride that you have to be really strong not only in the writing and the performances up for those characters have to be strong for that to be conveyed very well and with Patrick Seitz at the helm on both of those ends it was phenomenal and it hit every single emotional point and it set me on that roller coaster ride once again and I was just complete because I marathoned this all in a single day the other day Holy which was a which was a terrible decision <laughs> But well, luckily, luckily, I finished Chioka after that, but it's okay. We, um, we don't call ourselves team bad decisions for no reason. I know, but marathoning it in one sitting, it I got to go through that emo- on that emotional ro- ro- roller coaster ride, and it cathartic is probably the best word. Cause taking Andrew's word, it's a very cathartic experience. So having Patrick at the helm and the writing and directing front. Again, he was the best possible choice I could have hoped and asked for for a show like this. And I think it was such a phenomenal job on all parts. Wonderful. Well, Patrick, we we owe you a beer for this show next time, if we ever get to meet you, because, yeah, this this Oh, I've met him. I've met him. He is a sweetheart. Okay, well, we all owe him, like, at at the very least, we owe him a Mike's Heart Lemonade, I agree, I think. I remember the first Anime Boston that Megan came up. She had bought an Iggy plushie, and we went to the Your Lie in April premiere. Oh, no. She called... She, he was walking by, and she called <laughs> out to him. He, she's like, Patrick! She's holding the Iggy plushie. He got so excited, he came running over, had, took the plushie, and he just looked at it for a second, he just started stroking it and petting it like, my precious. <laughs> it was so cute. Patrick nice. sites confirmed for real-life Popo. Yes, real-life Popo and giant teddy bear. <laughs> so I, I have a question then for you two, because um, I, I don't that? really have anything to add on the directing and writing myself. Uh, okay. You guys basically covered all the points, but my question to you is, do you okay. think that there was anything that was lost writing-wise from the transfer to Jap- from um, Japanese to English? I'm going to be honest, from what I remember, not really. I think everything that needed to be conveyed with these characters and their certain traits and quirks was actually conveyed very well with a lot of the script changes. Like, most of them I was going to mention for their particular characters, but there are some genuine statements where it's like, uh, everything about the way Menma talks is conveyed through pure, like, innocent speak, where it's like she sounds like a child who who never really got the chance to grow up because, well, mm-hmm. you know. And, like, the w- some of the things that Popo says, it's very eccentric, carefree, but also a little bit pervy. And the way that certain characters act and the way they carry themselves or the awkwardness they convey when they're in public or the shyness and insecurity they feel. I think all of it, when it's translated for the show, everything comes across as it needs to. And I think it's splendid. I think for me, to answer your question, Noah, I think aside from maybe, there was probably some small moments more on the lighthearted scenes where maybe... Because um, I always nitpick when this comes up, like use of slang and modern terminology. 
I think there's only very few moments where that might have occurred, and I don't, and this, it's been at least a year, maybe two, since I've originally seen the show. I don't mm-hmm. recall that happening in the original. So, aside from that, I'm in agreement that the translation, I think, was very faithful um, to the original. Because, I mean, with a show like this, if you were to deviate from it, it would just go south so fast. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I'd like to describe uh, Patrick Seitz from a phrase that was used in this dub. <clears throat> Patrick Seitz, you are not a big loser chicken. You are a big winner chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, that, that big a winner chicken. Clap. And I so think we thank- can leave it at that. Patrick yes. Seitz, yeah, that's um, that, that, that's that's going on a plaque on his wall now. Big <laughs> no, you're basi- winner chicken. <laughs> but no, you basically agree that the directing and writing that Patrick did is phenomenal. I'm just making sure. Yeah, I will get more into thoughts about individual characters when we get to them, but the tone, okay. the translation, and the handling of all the individual characters is different quirks. Really well done on this. Mm-hmm. I, could, I can highly recommend this to sub-purists even to say... You can watch this in dub, and you will get the exact same treatment that you would if you watched yeah. it in just the sub, which, yeah, it, which I, should I, be I the key of a dub to get a, to basically say you are losing nothing by changing language tracks. Now it's just a little bit easier to understand for some people because you've got you people speaking English naturally. Sometimes things just come across more naturally if you listen to it instead of having to read subtitles. Yeah, I can agree with that. Though, me personally, I'm usually of the of the preferences like. I consider a dub to be an adaptation mm-hmm. where I don't mind seeing voice actors like put their own spin on the character, but in this situation, especially w- again with the subject matter and the material at hand, having it be more in line with the original is probably the best route for the show to go. Right. Yeah, the the strength of the, sc- the of the story itself is already enough there that there really didn't yes. have to be much more adaptation. Right. So l- let us talk about some of those individual characters who help bring this um uh, tissue box of a TV show to life, shall we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need plenty of tissues, and we need our crying ice cream. Do we need anything else? Oh, oh, wait. I didn't grab Gatamon. Shit! <laughs> oh, yeah, I suggested early on and to Steph, you know what? You you should probably have a plushie on hand yeah, for the show. It actually <laughs> helped. It actually <laughs> helped. I was holding my little my Gatamon while I was watching the final couple episodes. I'm like, oh, my God! It's very interesting that you mentioned a Digimon because we're actually going to be talking about one of the biggest Digimon actors in this next segment. Yes! Segway! So, uh, like we said, we're going to talk about the main six, obviously, but before we do that, there's a couple of parent characters who we should really talk about just to uh, give them their due because they uh, they do really well in conveying some very horrible parents, at least in the sense that they're not very good for their children, but for good reason, for, for understandable reasons. First up, we're going to talk about the mom and dad of Jinta. We're going to talk about Atsushi Yadomi and his wife, Toko Yadomi. Um, notably, uh, Toko Yadomi actually died uh, before the beginning of the series. And so because of that, her husband and Jinta's dad is kind of not really doing the parenting anymore. He's kind of decided to let his own son be his own person without getting too... Uh, interfering with them. He's basically the polar opposite of uh, the dad from Clanad who decided instead of 
uh, being an abusive parent, I'm just going to be a neglectful parent. Just for clarification's sake, Jintan's mom passed away after Menma died, right? That is correct, that is yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. It's like, for his, his, his life sort of went from bad to worse, but... Yeah. Yeah. But... So, uh, obviously, you're going to need some um, uh, actors who can pull off um, the range of emotions of parents to do that. But for Dad, we've got, and this made me laugh because I think he's got the biggest resume of anyone in the entire cast, Kirk Thornton, of all people. Surprise, motherfucker. Kirk Thornton, uh, better known uh, to you Digimon-loving fans as Gabumon in all of Digimon. Um, Also, uh, Hyosuke in Please Teacher. And Klein in Sword Art Online, for some of you more modern viewers. He's also, like, every single piece of shit bit character in literally every other show. If I enlisted everything he was in, which, you're right, include quite a bit of awful characters, we would be here for an entire podcast. We could make it the curtain. I'll I'll save, I'll save. I mean, I, I, I still think of him as Gene in Samurai Shampoo, but that's just me. Okay, but we'll save that for later. That's a good character, though. <laughs> but he had his moments of not he being did. so good. Wait, hang on a second. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> so, but, but speaking of the opposite of that, a total precious character um, playing Jinta's mom is Laura Post, who plays some of the finest uh, mother characters in anime, <laughs> like, uh, like Ryoga in Kill a Kill. <laughs> You're funny. I, we have to bring that up every time she's a mother character. I, it's it's hilarious, but at least in this one, she's genuinely sincere. Yes. Yes, she, she's a good uh, she's a good mom in this show. Um, Laura also voices Diana Cavendish in Little Witch Academia, Nozami in Love Live, and a lot of other California dubs that we've covered on the show before. So these two characters, uh, Lilac, do you uh, have uh, some quick thoughts about how they portrayed their particular niches in the story? Um, let's see. Laura Post, you don't see as often as you do Kirk Thornton. Laura Post is really there for plot relevance more than anything, because reasons. But we'll probably talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, enjoy, I did enjoy her as the sweet, sweet, kind mom figure. She was wonderful and adorable, and I liked it. And then Kirk's, Kirk Thornton and his um, philosophy of parenting... That was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, lo- I love the performance as this kind of relaxed dad who apparently loves saying the word cute. Yeah, that was a quirk I've, in the sub as well. I know. I forgot that was a quirk. I'm like, wait, what? They kept, like, oh, yeah. I, I realized while I was watching it and I kept hearing him say it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a thing that happened in the Japanese, too. <laughs> but um, he, he Kirk Thornton is really plays rather well with the um the dad uh figure in this and his relaxed parenting because you can you can tell he doesn't want to push Jinta mm-hmm. uh because Jinta's already gone through a lot and he's been struggling a lot for years so instead of what kind of happened with the next set of characters we'll talk about Jinta's dad just kind of wants to let him just gradually like get back into the swing of things on his own yeah i had i had a a discussion actually with jenny about um abusive parents before and we kind of talked about how if 
possible, like, it would be better for a parent who's struggling themselves to do nothing rather than to be a negative enforcement on their children. Yes. Right, right. Yes. Like, which is not to excuse neglectful parents either, but... No. It's... The, but, li- but, like... We don't hate it, Kirk Thornton's character. I, no. I, I Like, there's nothing about him that I think is meant to come off as hateful. If anything, it no. just strikes me as he, he sees his kids gone through so much that he doesn't want to push him too hard at fear yeah. of losing him as well he's, as the love of his life. He's giving him a space in order to try and, like, recover himself. He's also, like, there's only, he's also, there's like, There's only very, so much a parent can do, so... He's also very clearly more aware of the situation than even yeah. Jintan gives him credit for. He just yep. chooses to trust in his son's decisions because that's the best he can, he thinks he really can do. And that's a yeah. pretty poignant moment. Um, okay, uh, Laura Post... She's amazing and sweet and lovable, and she's dead. There's not much to really say there. I'm sorry. <laughs> and she's dead. There's nothing much <laughs> else. Um, she, she, would you say that she is as sweet and adorable as her as the bread that she makes? Uh, yes, but Aww. boy, that the, I, I don't... Just puffed bread and raisins seems very unappetizing to me, but I'm sure it tasted pretty good. Um, Kirk Thornton, though. Can I just say, I, I mentioned it before, it's so nice to see Kirk Thornton not play a piece of shit. <laughs> like, so, uh, we haven't brought her, we haven't brought her up yet. Uh, this show was written by, uh, Mari Okada. She's going to be yes. important to several discussions tonight, but first thing, let me reference a Kirk Thornton character in another show written by her, Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans, where Kirk Thornton plays a literal fat piece of shit who, like, is in control of an army of kids Basically, it's a piece of shit to them, and he has a Hitler mustache, and he's a total fucking asshole. And that is a ca- the one-off character played by Kirk Thornton. So, it's so nice to see him not playing a total piece of shit, fat motherfucker, abusing kids <laughs> with a Hitler mustache. And just, just, like, I'm sure he's probably the sweetest person in the world. So, the fact that he's always pl- plays the most piece of shit, inhumane motherfuckers always is hilarious to me. That's why I'm so surprised that he's playing such a... He's aloof, I think, would be the word to use. Because he doesn't seem... Yeah, he doesn't that's seem, a good way to describe him. He doesn't really seem like he's naive, nor does he really seem like he doesn't care. He just seems a little out there and a little, like... He just seems a little light in his demeanor, especially, like, when it comes to his kids. Like... It's not that he can't be a parent or he isn't incapable, but it's just he's choosing to trust in his kid and he's choosing to trust in them to trust in their well-being. Whether that's a good parenting decision or not is another matter, but I think Kirk Thornton brings a good level to this character's demeanor. He's very light, but he is very... He, he sounds old. He sounds like he's aged yeah. a bit, and he sounds like he's gone through a lot. Because we never see his emotional breakdown. We never see him get angry. We never see him get distraught. Closest is, like, when he's telling him about what happened to Menma. But most of it, he, it's like he's moved on. He It's not really... He's not living in the past anymore. Like, most everybody in the show is trapped or encapsulated by the past. He's like... He's moved on, and he's in that point of acceptance where he's just living his life. He's yeah. He's one. Of, he's one of the few characters in the show who is not stuck in in the past. Which is like, there's not much to say about what he does, but there's a level of 
there's a level of respect for somebody who is living ahead of, of the future. And I think Kirk Thornton does a good job bringing that out in this character. And I'm just glad he's playing a genuinely sweet, sweet person. <laughs> to be fair, it's also rather refreshing to have characters who aren't living in the past. Because it would just turn in, it would just turn into more de sadness, depressing fiesta times. I'm just saying. Yeah, there's only yeah, it's a small cast, and so it's nice that at least one of the characters with a name is not as is not da as damaged goods as everybody else. Yeah, pretty Wait. much. Mm -hmm. So, all right, thank you both for the compliments. Your paychecks are in the mail. Um, <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, even though I'm in charge. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm just writing this off of your taxes. This whole podcast is a tax write-off. Sweet, I'm okay with this. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, we're talking about Jesus Harris. Just go. But I will say that uh, to echo both of you, yes, th these characters are both not at, don't have as much dialogue, don't have as many emotional highs and lows as the rest of the cast members, and that's okay. It, it is. It's kind of refreshing that in a medium of anime, high school anime, where parents actually aren't always that present, it's kind of nice that this series the writer decided to include. Uh, a variety of parents actually who are actually involved in their parent in their kids lives to some extent mm -hmm. and both kurt and laura play off the like kind of like wackier or sentimental parents that it's really necessary for the, like to break the sadder moments of the series up so good casting pat for putting kirk and laura in this they both done did very well yes so, we should probably move on then to um Parents and family members who are not, not quite doing quite. as well. Um, so, let's uh, talk about crazy mom. Let, let's uh, let's move over to Menma's family. We are going to be talking about Menma's dad, mom, and little brother. Well, he's not so little anymore, but uh, family members who are kind of not able to move forward, and they show that in completely opposite ways. But of course, we need to talk about who's voicing the characters. For Menma's dad. Manabu, this is the voice of Christopher Smith. For Menma's mom, Irene, it is Karen Strassman. And as a bit of incendiary uh, information, I believe, if I read correctly, that Irene is actually supposed to be Russian. Okay, that's that's what I voice. thought. Okay, yeah, that I, I don't remember a lot. where I read it from, but yeah, the, someone mentioned somewhere that Menma is half Japanese, half Russian. That makes perfect sense. I had yeah, a hunch the name Irene was uh, Russian or something, but that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Continue. So there you go. And to round out the cast, we have uh, brother uh, grown up more now, Satoshi, voiced by uh, interesting casting choice here, Marine Miller. Marianne. Mar I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Marianne. Marianne Miller. Ba badass you extraordinaire. Fail. I do. That that's you know, that's why I'm here and not in school. <laughs> also because I'm twenty seven, but that's not the point. And also so, because you already graduated school. Thank you. What of these characters I, I what could, have these people? Trying to save you. Trying to save you. I could still you. be going for like, you know, like an over over overgraduate degree if I really wanted to, but uh, you know, I wouldn't have the money for that. So, Mr. Clue. You were you were, you were you were being smart and saving money. Thank you. So, speaking of uh, smart, hardworking dads, which uh, I totally am, Christopher Smith, um, he's been in a couple of series, um, also kind of seems to jump around different uh, dubbing studios as well, because okay. he, he is Lem in Jormungand. Jormungand. He is Suji Hanamoto in Honey and Clover, and he is Kinosuke in Dura ra 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 just to name a couple of <laughs> That show. 
that that one interesting show... I, now i'm gonna be looking at like what other stuff he's done because i didn't realize he did dallas stuff don't yeah. mind me keep going yeah. he's all over the place uh one person who's not quite as over the place and seems to stick mostly in california is irene's voice actress karen strassman who is in everything when it comes to if you need like a um uh a mother character or you need a moe character this is the one that you call on to give a, i don't a, know about moe oh let's oh, talk about monster dude no 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 hold on hold on like moe i'm thinking of miyuki and lucky star uh migunami in lagrange the flower of rene and sawaka um sawako in kaon i don't think i pronounced that right She's also the most precious cinnamon rolls in the Persona series, uh, like Nanako, Dojima, and Igis. I'm going to take your word for it because I don't even know what a Persona 5 is. They're not, it, Persona's 3 and 4 is you fucking plebeian. Continue. <laughs> well, if you add them together, that's a Persona 7, right? No, but for real, though. For real, though. Let, let, let's, let's just, let's just say... She's Nina she, fucking Fortner. She's Nina Fortner in Monster, you guys! Yeah, she's Nina. God! <laughs> Again, I'll take your word for it, because I haven't seen Monster yet. Someone needs to relicense that shit. Viz! Oh, oh I wouldn't be bad. They're too busy printing that Sailor Moon money. Uh, speaking of magical girls, actually, that brings us to Marianne Miller. Hey! Who is in a, for some reason, all the roles I picked for her on this cast list are all magical girl-themed. Um, she's Kyosuke in Matoka Magica. She was Amanda O'Neill in Little Witch Academia, and she's Yuno in Magical Girl Lyrica Nanaho. So this is a completely different role because not only is she playing a young boy in this, but he does not have magical powers. I'm about to say, it makes me think you like you have a thing for Magical Girl shows, Noah. She's, she's also unrelated to Magical Girls, but related to magic. Uh, she is the young version of Kiritsugu Emiya from Fate Zero. <clears throat> You would yes. be right. So that that's our wide range of characters who, like we said, are damaged goods because dad oh, is... Oh, boy. The, let's see, the dad is dealing with the death of his daughter by just kind of locking his emotions away and not really dealing with it. Uh, the brother has some resentment about it because his family misses Menma and doesn't quite give him as much attention. And then there is the mother who Which... is... Oh, my God. Interesting thing, I'll say this, the least I have to say is, uh, the father. What's his name again? Uh, Manabu. Ma Manabu. Uh, I don't have much to say about him, but I like Christopher Smith every time I hear him things. And he does a good job for what he gets to do. He gets the least screen time of the three. Um, mm -hmm. Satoshi, uh, I really like Marianne Miller, and I think she's got a fantastic voice when it comes to doing these young prebubescents, like, teenage, teenage boys or young boy a characters that really adds to this. Um, like, she's not, she's not quite in full puberty yet, I think, but it's clear he's, he's growing. And he's, he's very conflicted, because part of him really misses his big sister, but he was also really young at the time. And part of what sort of caused this rip in his family is that everybody's so trapped by the fact that Menma's gone that nobody really even sees him or what he's growing anymore. They're, so, they're too busy over the kid they lost that they've completely ignored the one that they still have, which 
is a I mean, really I, interesting dilemma. Like, I, I thought a poignant line was where uh, it's like, I grew a lot this year. Did you even notice? It's just, there's so much to be said by that, and so little that's conveyed, and it's really, it's stuff. And then there's Irene, who, this is, this is Epis- upsetting because... Episode 9, right? Uh, it's 8 or 9. The, Irene's particularly upsetting to me because I've met this person before. I've met the person who's something tragic happened to them. And they, and they, they put on a face, they put on a facade to carry on and see like they're still living but they've trapped themselves in their past they've trapped themselves in their sorrow they trapped themselves in their anger their resentment the fact that she's so angry at these kids not even for them doing anything wrong but that they were given the chance to live and grow up and move on while her, her child wasn't and that destroys her inside like I'll say this. She is, by means, the closest thing to an antagonist to this series, but neither her or Manabu or anybody of this family are villains. They are victims. And I think Karen Straussman conveys that perfectly. She conveys that sweet, innocent creature, but also the tortured soul, somebody tragically uh, in there. I think Karen's great. Um, I think Marion is fantastic as Satoshi for what she conveys, the level of emotion and disillusionment, and Christopher Smith's just sort of there. I think this whole family is really interesting, and it's it's tough shit. It's tough shit. Lila, can you concur that this is indeed, uh, as the scholar Andrew said, tough shit? I mean, this wouldn't be sadness for the essay if I disagreed, so... Um, yeah, I can, I can absolutely agree with it. Yeah, I... For sure, I would say, unfortunately, Christopher Smith, we didn't get many, much dialogue or lines out of him, so, again, he's kind of there, but for what he did have, I thought it was very good. Um, between the three of these family members, though, uh, Satoshi and Marianne, and then we have um, Irene and Karen, though, because they have much more to do. It's an interesting storyline. To see what Satoshi is going through. Because you don't often see that kind of story in anime or maybe in other mediums sometimes. So it's very interesting to see what Satoshi's struggle is like, hey, I'm still here, and yet you're still worrying about my dead sister. And to see the interactions between. Satoshi and Irene, it's very heartbreaking. Like, like I said, this this show is just an emotional roller coaster, and it's on so many levels. And this is one of those levels where you're dealing with this family struggle and them trying to get over what's going on. And this is actually my first time ever hearing Marianne in anything. First of all, really? and yeah, and I'm. It took me, I will admit, it took a little bit for me to adjust because this is a new person. I've never heard her, obviously, play a small, a little boy before. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. But I think it transitions very smoothly and it 
in the perform I did enjoy the performance at the end. But Karen Strassman though. <laughs> Karen Strassman though. She like does, Andrew was saying, she was she was capable of putting on that face, that facade that everything is okay. It's like I, I love my daughter, we're still sad that she's gone. And then go completely into like why are you doing this? Are you just tormenting me? Haven't I been through enough? Seeing her just snap because she's been wallowing in the past for so long. Eventually something has to give. And that transition I think was so seamless and you could tell that she was just broken inside after going through so much and all of this talk of Menma coming up much more recently. Like, you can tell that it just really killed her inside, and Karen Strassman portrayed that so, so well. Yeah, all three of these performances were great, but Karen Strassman definitely is the standout between the three because of the, those emotional beats that she had to hit. Uh, before before we go on to Noah, I, I, I want to mention something quickly, since there's what? no real clear way to betch this. Uh, Mariak Okada, who is uh, the writer of this particular series uh, and, like, this original work, what are the things that came out recently that sort of changed my context of going through Anohana is a lot of stuff from her personal autobiography. And one of the interesting and sort of upsetting things I took away from that was that she has a very troubled, strained, and kind of messed up relationship with her own uh, mother. Okay. Which... So that would there's, there's a lot of things with this particular series, but I think it conveys a lot about the particular scary, like, the way this person comes off and the dramatic, like, j just everything about her demeanor in that freakout moment. It feels eerily real. And knowing yeah. that she has a, has a very strained and difficult relationship with her mother, more on that in, uh... You get to find that on Anime News Network, but that really adds a lot of clarity to this particular character. Okay. Okay. Th thanks for bringing that up, because, yeah, there's... Uh, there is uh, evil mother characters in the anime, like, we've seen them before, and then there is believable human kind of mother characters. Mm. Yes. So, so, to give Christopher Smith his dues, he did a good job. I was actually a little worried that, um, because the original Japanese had a, a much gruffer dad character, uh, dad voice in the seiyu, I was a little worried that they would give this, like, um, almost like a, a guy from a bara manga, like a oh, grand, like much lower I'm glad voice. they didn't go like, that route. And I am, too, because that, that does not fit his character design at all, no. and that would have taken away from the, the more tender moments because he does have a few tender moments and definitely marianne is uh she gets high props from me and i said this a lot in the little witch academia episode because i i don't usually hear california actors who sound so unpolished and i mean that in the best way possible she has a very real authentic sound to her voice i'm not quite sure what her dialect is but it does not sound like your traditional california la west coast actor but whatever it is, it comes out really well in her role in Satoshi here, because that's a a voice of someone who is, tr like, his own individual person, but is not allowed to show it, or at least is not acknowledged by his mother very much. So, yeah, the scene where he kind of breaks down to Jinta what he's thinking, it, like, that sincerity of it, it's almost like watching a boy become a man, in a sense. Kind of, yeah. And so... Yeah, Marianne, whatever your inspiration was for this character, like, you had to dig down and, like, 
whatever he had to do. High props on that, because that, that was, like, one of my favorite little bits of the series. Now, as for Irene, though, and I should probably be uh, upfront about this going forward, but I did not cry throughout any of this series, that none whatsoever, until we got to her breakdown in Episode 9, wherein the character uh, is talking to the main five, just conversing with her about what they're doing, and then she starts kind of like jabbering on, not listening to what they're saying at all, and as you guys said, has a full-on breakdown confessing that she that she's so upset that they get to move on, they get to live, they got to grow up, they got to be human, but her own daughter is trapped in time, is frozen, did not get to go forward. Why did this happen? It's like someone, it's like that scene from Steel Magnolias where, um, uh, I forget who the actress was, was like mad that her daughter had to die. Like, it's a scene that feels so real about what is wrong with this? I can't move forward with it. Karen had the perfect emotion for it, and yeah. I know this more than almost anybody else, and I'll probably talk about this more later, but I have actually been through what she goes through before, and I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but back in early 2016, me and Jenny actually did lose a daughter ourselves. We had a daughter, Audrey, who was born with a medical condition called amophysial, which means that the organs are in a sack outside of the stomach, which is treatable, but she also had some breathing trouble. She lived for four days on breathing on, um, breathing tubes, and then she passed away. And the time after that was so difficult to get through that rewatching a character in an anime go through this, I was like, this is a little too real for me. No, I'm really I what was it? You said this in the chat the other day. You were you said something. There was you were just like there was a particular line that I think Jiton yeah, says to Satoshi, said. where it's like, I think I, imagine. I, wrote it down. I can't imagine what it's like to be a parent to lose their child. It something must like that. It yeah. must destroy them inside. Yeah, it, the moment you quoted that, I'm like, oh no. And it didn't hit me too, but. I mean, yeah. I because so, I, I remember what had happened, and then it was just, oh, so. Was like, no, oh. th that particularly, and that's the struggle with Irene. It's like she didn't become some sort of cra crazy woman yeah. to you. She became. I, I've 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 been through that struggle, and it's it. It's I, I, I I found the line when a parent loses a child, it must tear them up inside, and Noah's mm -hmm. response: "This is too much." It really was. Um, I, I I the second you wrote that, I was just like, oh no. Now, now to, to keep this lighthearted for everyone out there, because I know you guys didn't come uh, just for the sadness, although the no. episode is on Ohana, so you should expect that. <laughs> I'm about to say, it's on Ohana, it's people do, territory. People do move forward, they do recover, yes. but it took about a good month, maybe two months for us to really recover from that. And we are blessed with two wonderful children. We have Oliver and Ruby, who are, you know, they're great children. And I'm very blessed that I have, no, I don't have, I did not, like, retract into emotions that would not allow me to be good parents to them because yeah. that's exactly what Irene does. And there is even a line that Satoshi says about how she hasn't even left the house in five years. She is that much of a shut-in at this point. I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, So, and, and that's why it's such a big deal in the final episode where she has actually left the house to watch the rocket fire off. Yeah. Yep. It's a subtle moment, but you catch on and say, like, maybe she's ready to move on, too. But that that is as heavy as we get on this whole thing, and... Yeah, thank you, Karen, for digging deep down and finding the raw emotions to portray that kind of earnest sincerity. Now, before we move on, um, I want to say something. Okay. 
that probably wasn't easy for you to like come out and say and I, I respect I respect you and for coming out and admitting that and honestly uh, I'm, I'm 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 grateful you're you're my pal man this is I, I love you guys. Real, I really do love you guys. Well, I'm about to start crying because because I know because I asked you just. just All right. To make sure if you All right. Let's get those fucking know. tissues. Let's get no, those fucking tissues. Just... <laughs> I can't raise the tissues. We're states apart, Andrew. <laughs> I know it's breaking the illusion, but I can't get the tissues. We can't break the fourth wall, guys. <laughs> it, Shit. It's cool. It's cool. Let's talk about some lovesick teenagers to make ourselves feel oh, better. Oh, Lord. That's a good idea. Se thank you for your segues. That's exactly what we oh, needed. That's what we need right now, yes. So, Before like we, we said, this is, what, this is what you all came for. You all came to talk about the main six. They're on the poster. They're the main six. They are the Super Peace Busters. We're, and we're going to go through them all one by one because each of them have a different facet of of not being able to move forward that we kind of need to discuss. There's a lot to so, talk. Let's go. So, oh boy. First up, let's talk about the um, the one who arguably is has the least focus in the series, and that would be I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this right, Chiriko Surumu. Ah, no, I, I butchered Surumi. that, didn't I? Surumi. I always get that. I'm gonna call her by her nickname though, because all the characters actually have nicknames. Well, at least at least say the name in full once, and then say the nickname. Let's go with that. Bet better known by her nickname, Soroku. Who is voiced by Erica Mendez, who is not a person who needs any further introduction. And if you have not heard Verica Mendez before, then I, I'm assuming that we, we need to educate you. Let's educate you. Erica Mendez has been in quite a few high-profile dubs in the California era recently. Uh, for one, she was Diane in Seven Deadly Sins. She has taken over as Sailor Uranus in the new redub of Sailor Moon. She was, uh, everyone remembers this, Ryoku in Kill la Kill. Ryuko, you fucking pleb. I, I, I'm very bad at, I need to get, like, a text-to-script translator that will do all the, say all the Japanese for me. But, most importantly to this discussion, she was Tsubaki in Your Lie in April. Another, yeah. like you said, I told you we're gonna make Your Lie in April references throughout this whole thing. It's very so, relevant for this one in particular. So yeah, very relevant. So before I hand it off, uh, just uh, to, to all you people who know, this um, this role by Erica basically requires her to be the studious, uh, ice-cold person who does not bear much of their emotions throughout the series, and we don't really find out why she's that way until the very end of the series when we find out her actual feelings towards one of the other characters who we'll talk about later. It's pretty obvious, though. But I, I, I think it's a little too subtle for most people to catch on to, but, but uh, maybe uh, you two people who are in this chat with me can help shed some light. How did Erica Mendez convey that emotion? Uh, Lilac, uh, wh what do you think? I think the main issue I have is the fact that the character doesn't seem to have much of a presence until the very end. And... You're not wrong. I mean, because it kind of goes into... Because all the other characters, they have these moments... That just like make you feel for them and. Granted, she she's more of the ice queen for most yes. of this, which isn't a problem. It's just that's exactly what I wrote down in my notes. Yeah, yeah. it's she she this character brings a different dynamic to the table, um, but unfortunately, in my head, I get end up getting focused with the characters who had to like 
bring in so much emotion. Oh, that absolutely. I just absolutely. Completely forgot that she was there sometimes. But that's that's not Erica Mendes's fault. Erica Mendes played this, this role beautifully. That's more on the fault of the character, if anything. Or the show mm-hmm. itself, but that's another thing. The show itself, yes. But... Yeah, that it, they, we start to get a little more a bit of her near the end of the series. Like, particularly, right. uh, there's one line that I do want to point out. Um, it's the line, um, someone being super nice to you when you haven't earned it is the worst of all. Mm. And that's a yeah. reference to um, Menma being nice to the characters um, in her afterlife form. Yes. That that I think that encompasses most of what her personality is like throughout the first 10 episodes of the series uh, it, she, like, she's also very like she's very dead set on trying like whether she knows it or not she wants to help yukiatsu yes. like she mm-hmm. wants she's like if if he doesn't break then he's never gonna get through this yeah like she she is this very supportive character though how she goes about it sometimes may not be the best method in the world at the very she least brought candles yeah. <laughs> but I write candles, everyone. But she admittedly, I think she kinda reminds me of me sometimes. Where I'll be that supportive person, I'll be that helpful person, but I also I also tend to bottle up my feelings and my emotions half the time to the point where I don't let people see how I'm feeling and then it just kind of grows and grows to the point where it explodes. And that's what happens to this character here when she finally just snaps when you get into episode 11 and she just goes all out. And to, to that credit and to that regard, that progression right there, I did enjoy how Erica Mendes, Erica Mendes performed that because you can tell she's like internalizing a lot of stuff. You can tell she's internalizing it to the point where she just can't take it anymore. Mm. And she has to let it out or it's just going to get worse. Mm. So that's a very uh, interesting progression in terms of that character. And I think Erica Mendez performed that wonderfully. Okay. As a question to uh, both of you before I hand it over to you, uh, Andrew, um, did, did either of you feel like her acting portrayed a mean spiritness at all throughout the first you know, 10 episodes of the series? I don't think she ever came off as no. being mean-spirited. It just seemed like... Well, she the was... only time she was mean-spirited was to those other high school girls who were hitting on Yukiyaki. Okay, yeah, That's but that, that was the less... Any that other was time, less... but she was good. She she never seemed like she wanted to hurt or say anything against her no. friends. It's like no. the girls that were like trying to like, Hey, can you confess to this guy I like? It's like, do it yourself, you fucking cowards. Yeah, that's the only time where you can say she was probably mean-spirited. It's just those two other girls. That's it. Okay. Okay. So, All right, so yeah. go ahead and tell us what you thought, Andrew. So, I I am no stranger to saying this on this podcast before. Uh, Erica Mendez has some crazy fucking range. And every time I hear her, it's, it's always really interesting. Uh, there are some shows, like the last show I did, Gozik, she was... The most happy-go-lucky, preppy ball of sunshine in the world. And in this, she's the exact opposite. She is distant, cold, seemingly uncaring and unfeeling until push comes to shove. And she bears her heart and soul for all to see. At least you can say she wasn't friend-zoned by the ocean this time. At least she wasn't friend-zoned by the ocean. (laughs) Or at least she wasn't friend-zoned by the violin. Anyways, yes. uh, if it hasn't already been said, yeah, she's got some crazy rage. Uh, 
Both of the Brainiacs have some scary range, but in this, Erika's the uh, seemingly standoffish girl who thinks she knows Yukiatsu and has accepted that she'll never be the eye to his affection, but whether she knows it or not, she's still equally hurt by this notion. Erika's great at being a bit of a huge snarky bitch, but also being this someone who's very insecure and vulnerable like she puts the hairpin on just because she knows he gave her like menma a pin in the past and yeah. she she wants to seem like she's better and smarter than everybody but she's in just as much pain as everybody else over her feelings not being returned and that everybody's following in the footsteps of this perfect girl who died before they really got the chance and erica mendez like i'm going to say this um She's fantastic, but she's not close to being the best in this series. Part of that is, one, the character is doesn't have as much to really show off or show their stuff as much of the other characters. And second, any of the following characters uh, are fantastic. Any single character in this show, like, the worst performance in this show is any other show's best. Let's put it like that. Yeah, to be fair, yes. <laughs> like, I'm not even saying Erica Mendez is a bad or worse performance. It's just... It's just outshined by some of the ones we're going to be talking about. But... It's it's the argument we had... Because we actually were... We had a similar conversation with Hyoka last night. Mm-hmm. You could, We could call it the weakest performance of the show... But the show is still very phenomenal in and of itself. But yeah, so uh, it's a it's a weak performance, and uh, it's that kind of argument we had last Erica night. Erica Mendez yeah. is phenomenal. Every time I hear her, her range is crazy good. I I like her as Surumi, even if she's more in the background. She's accepted that role, and she does fantastic. <laughs> It's like Erica went to the recording studio thinking, I accept that my character will not be the standout of the entire show, but I'm still going to give it 120%. Oh, she gave and it 130 perfectly... and then some. Fuck. Uh, oh, so she gave it like 200%. Goddamn. And yeah, I love it. The important thing that I got out of uh, her performance, at least compared to everybody else, is that it's important that all six of the characters have distinct voices from one another, so that yes. if you were to close your eyes and watch a show without, you know, being able to see who's talking, you could still figure out who it is by their speech pattern absolutely, or just absolutely. their natural speech. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, and so Erica's performance was absolutely different from everybody else's, and, you know, she done did good. So what would you think? It was, like you said, not the most standout, but only because... Um, e- even if she was like written more into the show to be more relevant, it was it was gonna always be a little bit of an afterthought because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't think that she has any major conversations with Jinta. Most of her conversations are with uh, Yukiatsu um, or yeah, with uh, Anju. Anju. Yeah. So I think there was probably only one time where she had a like a sit-down conversation with Jean Tom, and that was it. You're right, you're and right. It, and it was fairly early on, I think. So, yeah, so her... But be, in spite of that, I have no complaints about how Erica portrayed the, the what we call the Ice Queen moment, and I especially have no complaints about how she finally uh, bared her soul without really um, uh, losing her personality in the final episode. Oh, yeah, no, she did. It's very, it's very interesting to have a character go from being... Um, calmed and collected throughout the entire series, making quips about cross-dressing and how you should just give him the letter yourself, 
and then go into complete, um, like, Jerry Springer mode and tell everyone about what's really on her mind and what she's been bearing yeah. for the last five years of her life, all without really losing the distinct uh, vocal timbre that made her who she is. You're right. And, yeah, so Erica, uh, we appreciate very much you taking second banana to all the other female characters in the show. Like, she's she's the best voice in, like, every other show that she's in. So, you know what? Sure! Uh, are we ready to move on to, um... Yes. Move from the oh unrequited God, love... this character! ...to the other ah! unrequited love. You, you seem to have words about this one. Oh, they are fantastic words. Who are we talking? We're talking about Atsumu Matsuyuki. Or better known by his nickname, Yukatsu. Yukiatsu. You, thank you, Mister Japan. Go <laughs> man, Now this, uh, this is the character who, in the character design sheet, has uh, like slanted eyes that look like they could like cut the side of a glass if you wanted to, which is a is a very interesting character design. But character-wise, he's important because he is the character who actually really liked Menma and did not realize that there was another girl in the group, Soroku, who also had a who had, did have a crush on him and five years later he still has yet to catch on to that. But who to voice such a uh, somewhat unlikable character dot dot dot? Well that would be our good buddy Ray Chase. And Ray has been in not quite as much as everybody else in the list here but he's starting to climb in popularity and relevance. Um, his more notable roles are he was um, Subarato Toto in Blue Exorcist the Kyoto Saga. He was in Fairy Tale Dragon Cry as Zash. He was Tengo in Mob Psycho 100. And most recently, to high profile releases, he was Shinta in Your Name. I am shocked you have not mentioned the most obvious one in that in Final Fantasy XV, he is the lead actor for Noctis. He's not hardy, first of all. What is a Final Fantasy? If it was really go. the Final Fantasy, then there wouldn't be 15 more of them. Okay, okay. So, Ray Chase, um, getting to voice uh, what we can only describe, I guess, as a bipolar character who puts on the persona of cool, calm, collected, honor student for most of the series. And then we find out he, like the rest mm -hmm. of the characters, has some real demons to deal with. Um, Andrew, um, do you want to take a crack at Ray's portrayal of the character? Okay, so I was talking about Erica Bendez's scary range. Ray Chase! I haven't gotten Ooh. to talk about him nearly as much, but this actor's got some goddamn scary range. Like, he's an example of a voice actor who sounds completely different every time I hear him. It's... It's crazy. And this show, this man, this boy, goddamn Jesus fucking Christ. In this one in particular, he's a very sexy, standoffish, pretty boy, but he's a bit of an asshole, yet... A bit. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Every time he's an asshole to Jintan or everybody else, the thing that Tsurumi helps us realize Everything he says is also directed at himself. Every time he calls Jintan yes. pathetic for still hanging up on Menma, he's even worse. 
because we have a word for that. It's called projecting. He complete exactly. He projects his anger, frustrations on Cheetan because in his mind, in every way thing that matters, he's smarter, he's hotter, he's better looking, <laughs> and he's more fit. But why does he still feel like he's losing to this guy? Because he never got the love of the one he cared about so much. And he never will, because she'll never get to return it, because she's no longer with him. And that destroys him inside, completely to the point that... uh, This actually seems like a thing I think I've seen before, where those who are emotionally distraught with those who have departed take on, like, the personality and features of those left away, because I think that's why he dresses as Menma, why he has the wig, because that's, like, his way of coping or making him feel like she's still there with him. There's a sense in a lot of people who are, and this show is very much about uh, people who can't move past trauma, that they are frozen in time, and that clinging yeah. to any any remnants or memory of a person, and, like rewatching videos of them yeah, yeah, yeah. or clinging to their belongings, is their way of coping with it. And, like one way that a lot of people uh, who lose children cope um, is they will keep the bedroom of that child exactly the way it was yeah. and never update it. Also, uh, speak of children, brief little thing. Uh, boy voice of Yukiatsu is Michelle Ruff. There's not much to say, just a little side note. Okay, uh, as for uh, when he breaks, because the thing about Surumi is she don't so desperately wants him to break. And when he does... Fuck... God damn. He needs to shave those legs. He does <laughs> shave those legs. He does, remember? I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna she wear could, a dress. So Ruby called him out. It's like, even if you shave your legs, you're still not gonna be Memma. But the thing about this character, it's like, he's not even really an antagonist either. He's he's so trapped and upset. And like, every time he's mad at Gene Ton, or every time he's a shit to Gene Ton, it's because... He's so he projects him. You're right. That's exactly what it is. He projects his insecurities and his anger onto Gene Ton, and that's exactly what he does. And man, when he breaks, like he goes from this very cool, badass, sexy demeanor to sobbing, fucking mess. And yeah. oh my god, he brings so much. He's got so much bite to this performance, and I'm as in stunned and impressed as I am. Goddamn, Ray Chase. Now, as a question to both of you before I hand this over to Lilac. Okay. Um, in the Hyoka episode yesterday, we talked a little bit about uh, actors who are clearly not in high school trying to be high schoolers. Did yes. either of you have a problem with Ray Chase? As, oh, like, no. He's... Oh, does oh God, no. absolutely like he could be no, a high school no fuckboy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope he never hears you this episode. Yeah, also, straight, I straight up, fuck straight boy. up. I, like, I call him a fuckboy. He actually kind of saves... On Joe from a very yes. compromising situation. And yeah. another source of conflict uh, that comes between Tsurumi and her is that when he's thinking of moving on, he, he wants to, he goes he wants to, to go to Anjo. And that's like because he, he considers Tsurumi like a friend and nothing more. But Anjo is mm-hmm. somebody he sees like as something that could be more. And he sees her as attractive. And he does kind of see her as somebody he wants to be with. And it's genuinely like a cool. Like. He's a complex character. I don't even hate him when he acts like a shit because I understand why he's a shit. And it makes total sense. And I feel so bad for him. Andrew, and he breaks. Andrew, 
Andrew, we can have our peace therapy session later, but we have to let you're right, you're right, you're right. Why Ray Chase is awesome. Our five-hour therapy session for this show. Um, I'm not. Pay- we're not p- getting paid enough for a five-hour therapy. No, session. No, we're not. I wish we were. But um, oh my god, I oh, a a lot of what Andrew said, I fully agree with. My god, this man, poor you, you poor poor human being. <laughs> What you had to go through! Wow! Um. Ah, uh, like he had to go through. He's in. He's in like the top prestigious high school. What, what does he have to suffer through? <laughs> You're funny. Um, I think one of the, I haven't bring this. I haven't brought this up yet. But I think what's unique with these five present day characters is their own coping mechanism with how mm-hmm. they're dealing with the situation. With Sarumi, she just internalizes it. With Yukiatsu, I don't know what the fuck is he doing. <laughs> well, he, like his his way of dealing with his past and his grief is probably one of probably among the most painful to sift through, and not painful isn't a bad thing, but painful because you just. You just feel for him. I felt so hard for this kid. And just whatever the hell he's going through through his entire series. And Ray Chase, like, I wrote two notes while I was... I wrote two separate notes um, throughout this. I think the first one I think I wrote around the scene, around the time when he's exposed as the quote-unquote Menma ghost. And then the second one was, I think, close to the end. So my first note, I wrote that Ray Chase plays the fake strong guy who is extremely flawed deep down. When he broke down, I could feel his pain. And then later on, I basically wrote in a short sentence, Ray Chase breaks so easily, I'm gonna cry. And I drew a frowny face. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Ray Chase and his portrayal of Yukiatsu was just absolutely phenomenal. I felt everything that he was going through. And then there's he goes through a lot among this cast of characters who go through a lot. But his story and his character arc was what stood out to me. And it's like a of all the of, five he's the one that you related yes. to the most or like got the most emotion out of? Yes. Okay. And that, that- the w- That's interesting. And, yeah, it is. All things considered, and just the way that he, that Ray Chase portrayed that character arc and that progression was just absolutely was just absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. I have a dubby contender here. I am. Oh my god! Spoiler. It's hard. It's hard to really like come up with words to how to describe this. It's just. Perfect. That's the word yes. you want to use. Yes. All right, all right, all right, I, I don't want to use it because it's like it's like it's, it's like a high standard. It's like I don't know if it's actually perfect, but it may actually be perfect. All right, there, there we go. That is the gold standard. Ray Chase yeah. is, is the new golden boy. Is the golden fuckboy when it comes uh, to boy, voice actors. I, I, I feel you, Ray Chase. He's I not a fuckboy. I, I was trying to make a statement. 
Ray Chase is a good boy. A very good boy. I'm about to say, Ray Chase, <laughs> I feel you. Boy. I feel you, whatever you had to go through to get that. Oh my god. His so rage is scary, wow. Steph. I hope you see more of his range now. I need to see some more of him, yes. He's a one-punch man to. in some places you might not expect. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Interesting. Noah. Okay, I don't have... Like, you guys keep taking all the good lines, but I can say at the very least for his acting... I also didn't have a problem with him as, an, as a high school student because, yeah, it sounded believable as an anime high school student. If anything, um, he seems to have a bit of a twinge of growl in the back of his throat, which yes. makes him stand out from uh, Jinta and Popo, which we'll talk about them later, who have more higher tenor voices. And yes. it's good that he has that because his character design already has, like I said, everyone else has rounded eyes, but his eyes are definitively like rectangles almost, like angular diamond-shaped rectangles that already make us think that he may be up to no good, which is, like you said, Lila, like, it makes, he's got some layers to him that make you feel really, really sorry yeah. for this guy. And the way that he, that Ray uh, personifies that is a, almost a bipolar acting. He manages to pull off both the suave, um, outward appearance of a calm and collected, um, what, what's the word for? It's like, um, uh, what's the high schools that are, um, in Japan, where they're training to get into colleges, it's called, um, I can't remember what the word for it is. Like a vocational school? No, no, uh, no. cram school, excuse me. Cr thank you, thank you, cram school is the word, as a cram school student. But then, when we flip over to him, like, uh, alone, he's uh, he's snotty, he's bratty, he's, he's harsh on everybody else, and it's all because he's got his own demons that he can't deal with. So, yeah, Ray was, like, probably the most surprising of the roles, because... I didn't really like this character very much when I watched it in sub, and I still don't quite like him, but Ray made me sympathize with him a lot more, mm -hmm. which is hard to do because he's uh, he's designed to be less likable, at least the least likable of all the characters. But Ray's acting on it was acted well enough that you just feel sorry for the guy. M more than anyone yeah. else, you just feel sorry for him because not only is he coping with it in a weird way, but you also get the feeling like he won't accept anyone else's help because he feels he has to be the one in charge. He wants to be the leader. He wants to be the reliable person who actually brings food to a goddamn barbecue instead of fireworks. What is wrong with Anju? It's just, it's a lot of layers to it. So yeah, way to go, Ray, on that one. Okay. So um, now that we've uh, covered the, the most two important characters, I, th I think we're about done with this for tonight. No, so, no, so, so, we've got just, a so, lot just, more. Come on. So just to kind of recap here we have Tsurumi who's the internalizer coping mm -hmm. mechanism we have Yukiyatsu who is a projector projector slash psychologically damaged person. let's go on to uh putting the person on... who runs away the person who runs away let's face it he just runs away but let's lead into um the precious precious cinnamon bun Popo. Yes. Let's, let us talk about Tetsudo Hisakawa, or best known by his nickname, because I don't even think they... We all know him by his nickname. He's Popo. Popo. He's he Popo. Is, he is the big guy who dropped out of school, is a globetrotter, is just going around the world, and is the highlight of humor throughout the entire series, who is yes. putting on, uh, saying all the jokes, lighthearted, super supportive to everyone else, it's just the warmest, biggest teddy bear that you could possibly meet in anime. He's also the only one confirmed to have actually gotten laid. 
Ah, this the is Vietnamese also true. women. They are just something else, aren't they? And, and again, his his coping mechanism is he just runs away from things. Yes. That, That's that his is, coping mechanism. We'll, we'll get more again, into that it's later. Again, it's very unique. Yeah, it's now, very unique that the show just covers a bunch of different coping mechanisms. But first... Uh, now, it's very interesting that uh, this is the, the character... Uh, actor who they got for this, the voice actor. Oh man, is one Kaiji. Did I add an extra syllable again? Yes. yes. KG Tang. But you know, I'm not gonna call him KG Tang because I'm gonna call him by his nickname. I'm gonna call him Juicy Flanagan oh. throughout the rest of the night. Oh my God, God damn it, no. Hey, if if you hey, if you had the option between one name or Juicy Flanagan, which one would it be? Not Juicy Flanagan, I'll tell you that. So. Um, Juicy Flanagan has uh, voiced <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of uh, across the board roles. Um, also, someone who seems to jump between California and Texas. Um, he was Smugu in Kill the Kill. He is Ren in Magi. He is Hendrickson in The Seven Deadly Sins. And one of Lilac's personal favorites, he was in Prince of Stride as Nob- Nobuhiko. I think that's how you pronounce it. Nobu what now? Uh, I no didn't even—I didn't even know he was in Prison Stride. I didn't finish the dub, so I don't know what you're talking about now. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic because I know that you and a couple other people didn't quite like Prince of Stride to begin with. Okay. I mean, Prince of Stride was an okay series, but yeah, yeah. So. Now, if you were telling me Daigon Rump at the end of Hope's Peak Academy, that's another story entirely. He's all—he's three individual, completely different yeah, he's characters. Like five fucking characters three. in the Daigo Rapa franchise. It's ridiculous. He's three. He's uh, Yasuhiro I'm... Hagakure in the Danganronpa 1 video game. Uh, he's the homeroom teacher in Danganronpa 3 Future Arc. And he is precious Cinnabon Gonta Gokuhara from Gonta. Danganronpa V3. Uh, anyways, oh, we will go into that. We'll go into that. Not now. Yeah, no, keep, not keep now. your dangan rope. Keep your dangan rope. We, we, we already, we've already talked dangan rope to death. We've, that will be we've talked dangan rope to death. We've talked right. dangan rope to death. So but go to is still cinnamon roll. I'm gonna go first. Actually, talking about KG because go ahead. This was the role that um, I thought could have been screwed up the biggest and was the most uh, entertained by, to say the very least. Okay. Because. Uh, Okay, um, the character is a big guy, but they're obviously, we're, we're hopefully going to get a tenored voice character because he's still supposed to be a high school age student who's got this, like, um, bigger than life personality, like, almost like a stand-up comedian, and that's really hard to do in voice acting where you have to script everything out. You have to get all of, like, the dips and swells with the, the like, larger-than-life personality. Man, Juicy got some chops, man. He is all over the board with this character. And the acting on it is, okay, it almost feels improvised, a lot of the dialogue. Like, he says, uh, he speaks about, like, uh, how he's on Team Menma, and uh, he's excited to see his friends again, and he, he eludes a whole lot of character into him. A lot of the speaking patterns on it are just all over the, it's almost like what we're doing in this podcast here, where we're not scripted, we're just going off the cuff, and, like, l larger than life, living, and kind of like making everybody else feel just a little bit happier because he's around. That so basically is, what you're saying, it's it, it, it just sounded the most natural I, in the world. I don't even know if I can call it the most natural. I just call it like the kind of person who I want to go have, like go to the bar and have a drink with or like, okay. I don't even know. Whatever else he's doing today, I will go with this man <laughs> and have a good time because He will be your drinking can. buddy, Noah. He will be your drinking buddy. Now see, I'm not even one who like goes out to bars to drink. I'm more like in the 
Let's buy a bottle of Jack Daniels, take it home, pour it in some Coke and ice cubes, and He's have a still good your time. drinking buddy in either situation. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and of course, as with all the other characters though, he is a broken individual. He just, he's masking all of those fears and emotions he's got by being in the way that he is. And when we get into the later scenes, um, one in particular, we actually have our hearts broken very heavily. Oh, There's one scene where Popo is looking for Menma because, like we said, no one except Jinta can see It's in episode Menma. five, I think you're talking about. Popo is looking around saying like he wants to see her, but he's he's trying to keep the mask up. He's talking about how he's really excited that she's back. Why don't you show yourself, Menma? It's me, your old friend Popo. And you can just start to see the person, the mask starting to crack yes. as the tears swell up. And internally, we're all thinking to ourselves, this man is too pure for this earth. He should not be going through this much pain. Please let me put my arms through the screen and give him a hug. Yeah, because he's starting to become much more frantic during that scene. Like, it's like, why won't you show yourself to good old Popo? And then what I think what hits the most is episode 11 when they there's actually one, the There's shot. actually one moment before that where it's like, they want to reenact the scene where it's like, do you like Menma? Oh, and it's like, everybody shit, else is kind of right. like conflicted. Like, Surume is the only one that's yes. actually like the most against it. But Popo's kind of realizing, he's got some shit that he re realizes that he's like, he's starting to say, say it, say it. Like, it's so out of character. And he's the one to tell him to not run away. It's like, do you want this to turn out like last time? It's like, oh shit. That's and then, and, and then we have, forward. and then we have the shrine moment. Oh fuck! Man. Where, oh my god, will you learn that Popo possibly could have had the biggest guilt hidden in him of all of these characters? He watched it happen. Yeah, Popo watched Menma fall into the river, and he couldn't do anything. He didn't know what to do, so he just ran. Hence the coping mechanism of him just running away. Mm symbolism god damn it and we uh, i'm sure that we all know someone like that too who yes. seems to, like um I, I know that um the one person in real life that kind of reminded me of was robin williams actually because i know there's there's been a lot of pieces about how he was dealing with depression himself yeah and you would look at his performance and be like how can someone this happy acting have depression and, and it's all it's a whole act yeah some some people yeah. who have depression they fake it they hide it this is a big this is like an animated version of that. Okay. Well, I don't know. So, again, Popo's coping mechanism is running away. But not, he's also... Not, he, no, it's, it's, it's putting saying. on a face. It's putting on an act. It's putting on this happy-go-lucky, larger-than-life right. persona. Like, half of that is okay. genuinely him, but in some regards, it's his way of trying to hide the fact that he feels so bad. Right. And, yeah, I mean, he says at one point that he doesn't... I don't sweat the small stuff. So... Because, you know, if he did sweat the small stuff, he'd be a nervous wreck. Okay, yeah. so... So what'd you think, Andrew? Oh, boy. Um, uh, first things first, uh, I want to give credit to uh, the fact that in the dub, Popo has some of the several greatest lines of dialogue in the entire show. <laughs> Yes. Uh, You're not wrong. Like, one of my favorite exchanges was him with Surumi, actually, where she's like, uh, man, these German sausages are the worst. And he's like, ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> and uh, another one that was of note was when he was peeing in the woods, and he, he said, 
my junk has elevated to a higher plane upon like uh, finding the ghost of Menma. <laughs> it was making a perfect arc. It was making a perfect yes. arc. That was but amazing. That's, that's not even the best one. The best no. one, Bardon. This one I genuinely did, did, did see coming. It's like when uh, Jinta and uh, Anaru are in the base by themselves. She trips over, she does the Emmy thing, and she like she's the one that pushes her arm against the wall beside him, which he's not the one doing that. She is, so I thought that was pretty neat. And she's like right on top of him after almost falling on. So he comes back, he's like, hey y'all, you want you wanna get some food? He sees that it is a very compromising, almost sexual position. The thing that he screams, I need an adult! <laughs> I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the original. I don't think it was that, either. That's, but man, no, that that's what that man. brings me. That part brings me back to my point where it's like I, modern okay. day slang. No, I, I it was lost great, it. I didn't. I, I didn't anticipate it. I was laughing for a solid two minutes. Couldn't breathe. Was, I'm like, the, not only the way the timing and the delivery of that was perfect. Okay, so Pope uh, Popo uh, KG Tang as Popo. Uh, I want to. I, I wanted to get that bit of humor out because I really, I really want to get this, say this right. Um, he is a large and seemingly intimidating man, and Keiji Tang is usually used to playing like in anime, the big, gruff, badass. Like yes. I'm used to him in other performances, but in almost every time I hear him in anime, he's a big, gruff, manly badass. And this. He is like this goofy, fluffy, soft, lovable boy whose persona is larger than life. Honestly, even then, when it hurts all the more, because he's so genuinely distraught when he wants to believe Menma's there, and when he, the scene at the shrine, he's so upset and broken, and I hear what sounds like KG cracking and breaking, and it hurts. Because he, everything he exudes is full of life and love and energy. So when it actually hits that he's so distraught and guilty, it hurt. And everything. I'm going to be honest. When I've been watching the show, I've been, I've been debating who I think is the standout performance in this show. None of these were easy for me to, uh, to agree on. Any one of these could be the best. But I got to say... I think bar none, KG Tang as Popo is the best performance Ooh, in the show. That's interesting. That wasn't I'm easy for me to. That wasn't easy for me to come to any of these. No, I, the I completely understand. The only reason well, I, I'm I saying that, that is because I genuinely don't think I've ever heard KG go this hard in both this light levity comedic cinema bun <laughs> to this. <laughs> tragic broken figure who's so much like dying inside at the guilt he feels it's it's fucking fantastic he gets all of it and it is stupendous nothing but praise for kg tang as popo all right that's two out of three giving the gold star to kg tang lilac you have the audacious task of telling us if there's anything that we missed well, my best performance is Ray Chase. So... There's no, there's no wrong. Talking about best performance. What do you think of? No, no, no. I'm just saying. 
No. Yeah. What was the words that Andrew used earlier? It was about crazy fucking rage. Yeah, Cajun Tang Tang has some crazy fucking rage. <laughs> first of all. That was one of the first notes I wrote down, too. Because... We're go because Andrew is right. Normally, when you've seen Keiji Tang in anime series, a lot of the time it's these badass, manly kind of characters. But going from those crazy, those manly badass characters, but then recently, not just saying with Popo, fucking Gonta. <laughs> we're not gonna Gonta. talk about Dang It, Grandpa. We'll be here all night. Just no, I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, though. It broke your expectations of what yes. you thought this was gonna sound like. Exactly, because the fact that KG Tang is capable of not only playing these badass motherfuckers over here, like Guts from the New Berserk, for instance, here, he's able to play these the precious cinnamon roll character Gonta. He's able to play the rather boisterous, yet kind of funny, laid-back kind of character, which is Popo here, is just amazing, first of all. But when you get to the emotional beats that he has to go through, and you see him break, I think every moment where you see one of these characters break that's where the true test lies for these performances. And when KG Tang broke, like completely and finally broke, not just those little hints that we saw here and there, when he fully broke, mm -hmm. you could feel it. Yeah, it was an accumulation throughout the series that was like, yeah. this guy. Yeah. All came tumbling down, goddamn. Yeah. Like, because. <laughs> With these characters, the moment that they break, personally, I think that's where the test in their performances comes from. Because they have to make that transition seem natural, seamless, and just hit you hard. KG Tang, considering the personality and the character that Popo is, he made that work so wonderfully. Because, again, Popo is this happy-go-lucky kind of guy, like, hey, what's up? Let's hang! Come on now! And then you just see him just snap, and he's just done. Like... That, that is their therapy session. Yes! That, the shrine. That, that shrine scene is the therapy session, because... Oh, it's what they needed, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Because that's where Popo and Surumi, that's where you finally see the two of them, in particular, break. Like, and, all the other characters... All the other... Seen, all the other characters at some point have broken in some form or fashion, but these two characters, Popo and Surumi, that's when they break. Yes. And for Keiji Tang, it was just, uh, my heart. Alright. My heart. I wanted to give Popo a hug. Oh, he, he gets all of the Menma hugs. Hug. He gets all the Menma hugs. Uh, he really does. That's a good point. She, she seems to jump on him the most. Although, yes. as he points out, I may be big, but I'm not your jungle gym. Yes. That's funny. <laughs> But yeah, KG Tang, oh. So, my okay, heart. so it's um, I, I'm glad that we, me and Andrew agreed on the um, who, who we thought was the standout performance. I, and obviously, he had really strong material to work I'm gonna with. I'm going to be honest, and any of these six could be anybody's fair choice yes. for the best in the show. 
admit, I will admit, yes. Like, a, a yeah. spoiler for the rest of the podcast, we're not going to have, like, a lot of negative things to say about no, any of this. No, probably not. <laughs> no, we're not. There no, will be we're some, not. but not a lot. Moving on. So, moving on to another one of those characters, um, we're going to jump from uh, happier-than-life characters We're going to go from best boy... no filters. We're going to go Zero from best filters. boy to best girl. That... We, Andrew, we don't have to label a best and worst boy girl in every show. Sometimes every girl can be best girl. You're right, but she's my favorite. That show is called My Hair Academia. No, you're right. This is not you're, my. You're hair. right, but she's my favorite. And you know what? I can I can easily see why. This character, who is apparently Andrew's favorite, and for very good reasons, is Naraku Anju, or better known by her nickname. Anaru, who is the pigtailed, uh, uh, how, how do I describe her here? Garugal. She is, yeah, she is the character who plays the video games, has zero filters in their personality, and has an unfortunate tendency to base her attitude and what she likes and does based on the expectations of other people around her. She's a poser in the high school, basically. <laughs> That's a negative connotation, but... It's yeah, a negative you know, like, connotation, poser. but that's what you're trying to convey. Hence I mean, her coping mechanism. As a, as a, just a, an insight into her, uh, her personality, she wore glasses as a girl, for eyesight reasons, but she does not wear them anymore. She has ditched the glasses and has decided that, you know, she's too cool to be seen with glasses. Which is uh, incredibly funny because in one of the last episodes, she's actually having a bit of a breakdown moment, and we see that she has put the glasses back on. Like, basically the whole thing is that she's trying to disguise herself as somebody else, you know? Yes. That's exactly what she's trying to be. She couldn't be this person that she wanted to be. She couldn't have what she wanted. She transforms herself to try and hide as somebody else that she's not. Yeah. And so many times throughout the series, from her peers and people who are presumptuous and shitty around her, assume her to be this huge, like, this huge bitch, this huge slut, the kind of person that would let anybody do anything to her, and she's not. She's anything but. She's this person with feelings, personality. She's into uh, dorky stuff. She's into cute stuff. She's she's not some... She doesn't have the love hotel face that she is supposedly has. The love hotel face. That outburst from <laughs> Jinta is the best. That... But I guess Maybe she looks like she's gone to a love hotel as you, okay? What? It basically, <laughs> really the compliment. It, that no, you I guess compliment. what they're trying to say is that she. Yeah. I know everybody thinks that she's this huge slut. She's not. She's anything but this. She's this huge, dorky, sweet person. And that's absolutely yeah. what she is. And she's the one who's uh, so in love with uh, Jitan and so jealous of Menma and that's tearing her up inside because she's so happy that she could reunite with him again and become close to him again but she knows like it's because of a person who she's already lost to even in death and the idea of what happens after that does she just want Menma to go so she can finally have Jintan again or does she genuinely miss does she genuinely miss and still treasure Menma? Like, that's something that tears her up inside. And fuck it, I've already said too much. Let's go into it. Fair enough, fair enough. 
So thank you. Um, the descriptor on that then, that long descriptor should uh, make you think, well, who in the world could they possibly get to voice all of that oh, personality? Boy. I'm getting who? your Lion April flashbacks now, are you? I think I, I, I have, um, uh, 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 I'm fiddling around here with the cast list, and I think we could probably get one more actor. <laughs> oh, you I think we can! It's Erica Lindbeck! So Erica, yes, Erica Lindbeck, who is one of the Erica Squad. The Erica been, Squad, I forgot that was a thing. Has been in a lot of different things from uh, from the California area. Some of her uh, more high-profile roles was as Jericho in Seven Deadly Sins, Nori in Sword Art Online, Ellie in Love Life. I I think Megan would kill me if I didn't mention every Love Life character necessary, but the one would. character who all of us are thinking of in this particular vein is her role as Kauri in Your Lion April. Now that we've, uh, now that we've reminded you of that sadness fiesta into this other sadness fiesta, Lilac, how does Erica Lindbeck portray all of those emotions of someone who is unrequited love, uh, masks her emotions by trying to act like everybody else, can't be what she wants to be, and all she wants to do is play Nokemon and catch that Likachu? <laughs> Copyright free. Well, first of all, this isn't. This is in no way Cowdy from your line, April. No. First of all. Well, no. well, she has. Well, I think she has some of the same emotions, but she doesn't have uh, quite the. Uh, she has no filters. Is the problem yeah. with uh, with yeah. Anaru? Yeah, Anjo has no filter. Anjo yeah. has no sense of a filter. And I love her for it. It's great. Um. <laughs> Not only because she, not only because she doesn't have that filter, and hearing Erica Lindbeck with no filter is a lot of fun, but <laughs> <laughs> but Anjo, her again, her coping mechanism being that she just transforms herself into mm -hmm. someone that she's not. Like as a her two friends who we see at the beginning of the series yes. are two like uh, gal girl type characters yes. who like to go play karaoke and hang out mm -hmm. with boys after school. It's, again, like, now that we're talking more about, like, the nitty-gritty and coping, coping mechanisms for all of these characters, it's very interesting to see how these characters each respond to each other and to themselves. Because Anjo... Anjo has unrequited love. Anjo has jealousy in her. She... She's not spiteful. I don't feel her as a spiteful human being. And I think Erica Lindbeck was just... I really liked it. She mixed the aspects of what with Andra trying to fit that mold of the gal persona, but she's still hiding her actual feelings and who she truly is. Because... Not only is she trying to fit this new mold, I feel like she's also trying to hide herself. Oh, definitely. She's um, one of the like. There's a trope in anime that if a character's got pigtails, she's gonna be a tsundere character. Right. Did you get a tsundere vibe off of Erica? Not even. Though? I mean, there are twinges that make you seem like that, mm -hmm. but considering considering this. If we took this being a coping mechanism into into um 
into effect here if we consider that now. It's not her. Mm -hmm. She is this sweet, nerdy, sometimes, sometimes mouthy individual who just wants to be accepted. Because... Which because, is something that I think a lot of high school or even elementary school girls can relate to. Yeah, but not for her not just be accepted by the entire world and her school and everything, mm-hmm. but being accepted primarily by Jean Todd. Okay. She wants Jean Todd to notice her, but he has not. She's going out of her way to try and change that. And maybe she thinks becoming this popular gal girl will get her that attention from Jean I don't know. Well, but... it's, it's well, they don't really interact with each other after he stops coming to school, but we no. do find out that she was at least very glad that they did decide to go to the same school together. And, yeah. And she was trying to push him to at least come back to school. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was the main motivator to try and get him to come back to school. All right. It's so not I'm... like I want you to come back to school or anything. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that right. No. Okay. No, I think I think a lot of it is just a front that she's putting because she wants to try and get that attention from Jitan. Definitely. And, and Erica Lynn and Erica Lynn back here. Because the, there's a lot going on with Anjo and this character. There's a lot going on with these characters. It's, it's fucking fantastic. That's why we're going so long because there's so much to dissect. I know! There's it's so amazing. much to dissect with these characters. Yes. Okay. You know, it's inter- I just want to point out that um, Jet was talking in the chat about how mm-hmm. he thought that this was a. He thought he remembered that this was a 20 episode series. It's only 11 episodes, but they yeah. it's a whole so lot dense, it. and it doesn't feel like it's rushed or nothing like that. No. Yeah, okay. That's one of the reasons that it's so enjoyable to watch. But yeah, I'm there's sorry, a keep there's a lot of context in here, okay. and a lot of stuff you can dive into. But yeah, I think with everything that Anjo is as a character, I think Erica Lindbeck just pulled that off wonderfully. Okay. Nice. So, so I'll be brief since no. I gave a lot of my thoughts on the character in our introductions already, it's it's mm-hmm. very clear that I like her a lot. <clears throat> uh, as for Erica Lindbeck, as uh, Anaru, she's phenomenal. She's got full range. Like, there's a full range of sensitivity, sna- sass, and snark, while still being sincere and vulnerable. It's She's got a lot of emotions on full display here. There's so much to Anaru as a character. All the She's got a lot of layers. Her character is one that is troubled and judged, and there's a lot more to her under the surface of who she really is as a person. And she stuck out to me so much. Uh, Limbeck's mannerisms and her particular tone of voice is perfect for uh, Anjo because she's very snarky and she's kind of a little, little bitchy and sarcastic, but she's really she's also kind of adorable and she's very flustered at moments when she gets embarrassed about certain things like she gets it's it, it just okay I, i'm gonna keep rambling on this let me let me just say it like this andrew do you have a new waifu it's not it's not even new on a shelf with your figurines no. of girls that you no 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 okay first of all shut the fuck up um second secondly <laughs> um Yes, I, Anjo, I really like this character. Like, I wouldn't give a shit if it was just, oh, Anjo's fucking hot. It's like, yes, she's hot, but then what, what's there to it? <laughs> but no, 
there's a there's a lot of character to it. There's a lot that she struggles with. There's a lot that she's dealing with. Her emotional, oh, her romantic issues. Her idea that she doesn't want to be seen. Like she wants to create the image, but she doesn't want to actually be judged as this like dirty skank or something that goes around the school. And that she wants to be noticed and accepted by her friends after all these years. She she's got this itch issues with like the. Gosh, mom, you don't understand. But she's also, after meeting with Memba's parents, she realizes what it's like to be a parent, to have like your kid that's no longer there, and that it hits her personally. There's so much to this character. I really like her arc a lot, and it's really interesting. So I love Ancho as a character, and I think Erica Lindbeck is fantastic. Honestly, if KG didn't steal the show, she would be my favorite. In this dub. Well, like, she definitely she definitely has a lot of great uh, material to work with, but yeah, I can't disagree with either of you. I, I wanted to go into this and say like, well, and maybe she was like too over the top, or but no, I can't say that. She is perfect level of bubbliness, and in the original Japanese, the character does have that kind of archetypal tsundere type of voice. Like it's it's not like I want you to come back to school or anything. Kind of like she she doesn't sound like a cartoon character what? or an anime character. She sounds like a person. That yeah. is why I like this. And this is one of the reasons that adaptations to uh, English is so critical because um, we'll talk a little bit later when we get to Menma about how some tropes may not translate very well. But if they try to get a voice actor who sounded exactly like the Japanese for Anju, they would have gotten someone who would have been a lot less tolerable than when we get with Erica, who brings all the energy to it while also bringing a human warmth to it as someone who, like you guys have all said, clearly has some issues with how she wants other people to perceive her. Yep. And it's it's that bubbliness to Erica that I also really, really like. And she go and because of that, she seems to have the most mental breakdowns of all their characters because whereas everyone else is kind of like masking what they're thinking, she's not really masking anything very well at all. If no, she'll just blurt it out. She's got yeah, like she's I think she may be the first person of the cast who actually full on admits that she um, regrets her actions as a kid because she flat out admits in one point that she was actually kind of glad when Menma died because that meant, oh, well, yeah. now uh, <laughs> I guess it's my turn to be, uh, you know, to be best girl in the show. And, you know, she's awfully heartbroken that that did not actually happen. So, yeah, Erica getting cast in this and just getting to go full bubbly personality on this was a real highlight in the series and helps to round out the cast by having someone who is a bit of an arc it's kind of fits some of the archetypes that we peg this uh the pigtailed uh gamer girl for but brings a whole lot of humanity and warmth to it that you could only get out of a well-cast english dub mm, absolutely so now that we've covered our bases on the four characters who are you know suffering through things but at the very least they do not have a ghost following them around I think it's time that we uh, crack open some ramen and add an egg to it and scramble it in there. Let's talk about the scrambled man himself, Jinta oh Yadomi Jintan himself, the leader of the Super Peace Busters, who five years later has no longer going to school, full on neat, living at home, and is unable to do anything with his life after losing both Menma and his mother back to back which would probably be the end of his story if it wasn't for the fact that he starts seeing the ghost of Menma, who he admittedly thinks is just summer heat, but, you know, 
turns out to be, no, this is some supernatural stuff going on. They never quite explain that, but that's not at all the point of the series. What's important is get the guy out of the house. He needs to get on with his life. Look, I'm sure I'm sure this would be a very different show if we explained all the uh, spiritual scientific methods for how a dead girl has aged and appeared before him. Like, that's not really the point at all. Yeah, th- th- this is more like ghosts than anything else. It's like... We're not really going to go into the the how. We're going to talk about the emotions of it. Fuck it, spirits and shit, yo. <laughs> yes. Just, so, just imagine yeah. uh, Menma just saying, "Why am I living? Fuck it, spirits and shit, yo." That, that that is you're right. That wasn't really the point of the whole thing. What is the point though is getting a standout English voice actor to voice Jintan, mm. and in one Griffin Burns, they found their Jintan. Now, Griffin Burns doesn't have as many credits as some of the other actors we talked about, but he is coming up in uh, some notable roles that, I mean, this definitely would be a boost to his re- to anyone's resume, so we'll probably be hearing him in a lot more California dubs going forward. But in the past, though, we've heard him in Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans as Yamagi. We heard him in the OVA Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman as Cyborg 0018. We heard him in Kuromok... Kuromukuro. Kuromukuro as Jundai, and he was in both seasons of Anjin as Ko Nakano. Um, he's also uh, the voice of Shalnark in Hunter Hunter. So basically you're telling me about series that I've never seen before. Right. So I've never seen this man before in my life. Never? Oh, well, no. in that case, I think you should get to go first in describing to us what did or did not work about Jintan's Griffin. Or Griffin's Jintan, rather. <laughs> Smooth. Yay! The um, voice of Griffin Burns will be provided by Jintan. <laughs> Jintan Yanami is playing Griffin Burns now. Um, leaped up, left off the page and entered the recording booth. But anyways, go on. A lot of times when I first hear a voice that I'm not familiar with, uh, I tend to make a connection to, with the voice actor to another one that's sim- very similar to him. In Griffin's case, I was actually like, he reminds me of Yuri Lowenthal, believe it or not. I can hear that. I can too. Yeah, y- you can hear it. Uh, like some quite of those... a bit of, I don't, know, I don't know which one you were thinking of, but I, I did hear some uh, Simone in there. From Girl I've Lagan. Never seen Girl Lagan. <laughs> ah, fix that. Pro- continue. I, I think <laughs> I think it's probably because I recently watched Tiger and Bunny uh, for the classics episode, but um, <laughs> that might have a lot I'm so to do with it. Glad you watched that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so glad that you watched that show. I'm glad I did too. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to say because I would call Jintan's coping mechanism if he if we were to give it one. Shut in. Shut in. Yes, easy enough. Shut in. You shut. He shut. He's a shut in, and he's shutting out the world. He goes full, he goes a, full on hikikomori. Yeah, he's a he's he's a hermit. He's referred to several times as a hermit in the show. Which is and, the worst thing you can be in Japan because they judge people who aren't in school or in the workforce yep. hard. Yeah. It's like I they do. they romanticize it a little in some anime because that's who they want to sell to, but no, that is that is something that you are judged <laughs> harshly MMO junkie. For. <coughs> 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 okay, you want something to say, fucker? Let's take it outside. Continue. No. No. Stop it. But 
it's hard for me to put into words, like, when I think about Griffin here, mostly because I've never heard him before. But... Was there any, like, standout quality to his voice or the way he delivered his lines to you? I... I don't know, actually. I think this is one of the first times where I am actually stumped and a loss for words, because... I don't really know how I feel about it. It's weird because I'm pitting this this person, this performance, against a lot of performances that are already so emotional. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to say or how I feel about it, honestly. it's. I, can I ask, did you dislike any part of it? No, I didn't dislike it. Okay. I do like it. But I think part of my problem is compared to some of the other performances and some of the emotional emotional um, progression that these characters go through, I think that might have a lot to do with it. Fair and, enough. Yeah, where I felt like there were other characters who had a lot more emotional baggage on the table and it's just like, Jean-Ton is just there. Oh. Mm. As a catalyst of sorts. Okay. So, so to be fair, I mean, to be it's, fair, it's hard for me to really. It's it's really hard for me to talk and describe it. Oh, it's just all right. No, so let's not try to like force it. Right, out. right, right. Okay, uh, okay I want to go. Go, Andrew. Okay, so uh, part of that might also be because he is the protagonist who, for most of the show, and as it's revealed, part of the thing about Jeton is he is at a loss. For how he feels. He, like... You're right, yeah. That's the thing. And I, like, all the things you're saying, I don't think they're bad at all. And I think they're completely perfect and intentional for what Jeton is trying to go for. And... You're right, yeah. I'll say this. I'll say this for Griffin. Griffin, all, all these... When I saw this cast list, I saw names to these characters, and I'm like, yep, I could see that. I could see that. I could definitely see that. I could see that, too. Griffin Burns, I knew him in one role, and he was very, like, he, he didn't show off a lot of emotions that I didn't know how to feel about him as something as complex as Gene Ton. And you know what? Watching the show again, he is a very strange character. He is sort of lost in his emotions, and as it's sort of revealed, one of the things is he doesn't, he didn't really know how to handle his emotions. He didn't know how to feel about Menma dying. He don't know how to feel about his mom dying. He just sort of closed himself off and just sort of faded away. And one of the things that's important and powerful in the show is by the end, he is screaming and yelling and crying and letting it yeah. all out. And that's the progression for this character. Um, okay. With Griffin, with Griffin no. Burns, um, I'll say this. Uh, he's got a full range of shit that he's got to work with, too, as well. Ambivalence, he's got deadpan, sorrow, anguishness. He's got this super awkwardness when it comes to public situations. Uh, like, those bits when he's trying to uh, divert attention away from Anjo. Like, he's extremely awkward and, like, having trouble getting the words out, like, forcing himself. Like, when he's trying to interact with customers, he's got this really awkward 
delivery and that's perfect for what gene ton is trying to be is he's this awkward person who's not in control of what he feels or doesn't understand how he feels there's so much and so many complicated conflicting emotions throughout this entire show but this character and griffin's performance we spend the most time with and i think griffin and Jiton as a character is a encapsulation of so many conflicted moments and not understanding which ones you're supposed to let out at the right time until it just all comes pouring out in this goddamn cathartic outburst of crying and just like happiness, joy, sorrow. It's, I really didn't know what to expect with Griffin Burns. And honestly, he's a fucking voice I'm going to be looking out for in the future after this. I was surprised and impressed. And that is one of the best things that you can say about any role is like, if it's a kind of role that puts you on someone else's radar, that is to be commended. Yeah, is to be applauded. Huzzah! So, yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna agree with both of you on the, um, uh, well, at the very least, I'm gonna agree with Lilac in the, um, it has the, I have the least amount to say about him, and, but that's interesting to me because Griffin's voice in this is normal. What I mean by that is we have this idea about what a typical anime protagonist will be. He's going to have a tenor voice, he's going to have some snark to him, he's going to be downtrodden, but he's also going to be the glue that holds his group together. We see this over and over and over again. And I love this one scene in School Rumble, actually, where they point to that type of character and they say, in a regular anime, he would be the lead character, but he's not because Tenma is best girl. But in this show, Griffin gets to be normal sounding, and that's not a bad thing because he starts out being uh, more the shut-in voice, but by the time that he's gotten throughout, like he started to open up a lot more, that transformation is really satisfying to watch. Like you said, Andrew, it's cathartic. And Griffin getting to uh, convey the different parts there, going from die, 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 you breeders, die, to I found you! We found you! Is real is, is a, quite a bit of a range that I'm kind of surprised that uh, we haven't heard him in more leading roles before. But I'm really glad that they put him on this one. So yeah, he, he's got normal tenor voice, normal sound to his actual speaking, like delivery, all that good stuff, but that's really what the character calls for. So there's not a single thing on his acting I can think of that I would have changed, like either directing or writing-wise. He fits the tr he fits the catalyst of the group to hold them all together really well. <laughs> so that's, um, yeah, so we've just given, uh, everyone did really well all around. So, um, everyone, grab your tissue boxes. I've oh, got God. it right in front of me. All right. We finally, we've reached the end. We've reached the final hide-and-seek game. Oh, and we're going to find her. We have to find Menma, guys. We have to find our lead, actor, uh, lead character herself, the angelic and perfect Mako Hanmo, or Menma, as she is known to her friends, who is the, the ghost the whole reason the show exists, and possibly the hardest actors, actress to cast because her Japanese voice had a very typical moe voice that's up in headspace. Is, sounds normal to a Japanese seiyu, but has kind of a hard time... Ha, we have a history in English-speaking dubs of having a hard time 
filling that role. So, who do you guys think they could get to voice Menma? Well, it turns out it is not anyone you were thinking of, because it's a voice that I don't think we've talked about in this podcast before. I don't think we have either, yeah. I think at least only once. And that was was in the W Awards last year, I think. Okay, so, and to give her her full credit as a really standout voice actress, ladies and gentlemen, we have Miss Xanthi Wynn. Yay! Round of applause Yay! to everyone! Woo! Round of applause! Now let's hear some um, of her roles. Well, um, when, when it comes to um, Moe-sounding characters before, she has voiced Yui in Kaon. She is Hanayo in Love Life. She is Yuki Nanako in Testament of... Sis- uh, New Testament of Sister... Wait, it's Testament of Testament Sister, of Sister New, Devil. New Devil. That's what you're going Thank for. Thank you. Okay. The that that, that shit show. <laughs> yeah, that one. But probably most prevalent to this topic when it comes to characters who have died and come back to life, she is Fuyumi Yamagi in Bloodlad. Thank you for bringing her up. That's the I, only role I know her for. There we go. And Yay! I haven't, I haven't seen Bloodlad. I know the premise of it. Uh, Bloodlad is amazing, and I, I like, okay, we got it. Bloodlad is amazing and funny, and this is this is where the origin of Spazzy Pappenberg, is best Pappenberg, comes from. By the way, and I think everyone should see Bloodlad and needs more seasons. That's just me. Okay. Okay. So, okay, so like I said, um, this is uh, probably the one role that is going to be really, really um, dichotomous for a lot of viewers. Not maybe us particularly, but other viewers of the show. Because some people, even before the dub came out, did not like Menma as a character. What? Yeah, there's a. Some people find her found her annoying, or thought that she was too much of a goody goody. Or well, those people are. Fucking monsters. Yeah, some of the crankier <laughs> people out there who, who can't stand someone being a nice person, you know, th- those assholes. God forbid. Okay. So. But uh, I, I think, Andrew, you need to uh, tell us, how did Xanthi uh, convey an English adaptation of this very perfect little girl? Okay. Uh, so, I'd like to quote uh, one of my... Uh, favorite lines from Menma in this dub. Uh, and I would like to say that, Xanthi, you're not a loser chicken. You're a big winner chicken. Or, or, or should I say a big, should I say a very big winner chicken? God damn it, Andrew! I had no, to go. Uh, uh, no, I've no. been sitting you a free pass. So I'm I've been giving that. that. Is... I've been sitting on that one for four hours. Let me have this. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. No, you don't get it. That's a terrible joke. Okay. Okay. I, yeah, okay. That, that is unforgivable. Fine, you fine, will be fine, you blacklisted. Fine. I'll I'll go jump in a river later. Okay. Let me get this. Damn out it! No, 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 no. Out of my system. I, okay, okay. Okay. We'll we'll berate you in a minute. We'll berate you in a second. Okay. Um, with Menma and Xanthi, everything about her. From her demeanor and her mannerisms, they are completely that of someone who never grew up. Because she truly never did. Everything about the way she talks, from the things she says to the way she acts, it is completely childish. And, I like, she never actually sounds like she is, like, 
a teenager she might look it sometimes but she sounds like this child who's just kind of trying to have a fun time is trying to make everybody's day a little brighter she's jumping on everybody like doing piggyback stuff all the things like when she hears her friends talking bad about each other she like she's trying to cheer him up that's why i love the the winter chicken in time but she sounds precious and adorable and like you want to hug her and tell her everything's going to be daijobu not only that oh, when this character is hurt and when she's upset about like her friends who are fighting and when they're breaking you can tell it destroys her inside and the delivery of those moments and those moments when she's crying and she's really upset and she doesn't know how to feel that she doesn't understand why she's still here she doesn't understand why she hasn't moved on yet and it's tearing her up i think xanthi's perfect at that she perfectly encapsulates that level of kindness innocence selflessness and sadness that menma is as a character uh she is uh xanthi she's completely spectacular performance and excellent excellent showing as her as a precious cinnamon ghost girl Menma. we're out of cinnamon but we've like used up all the cinnamon throughout this year there's not the bottle's empty the bottle's empty but god damn we it we still got like a month to go Z- like Z- we're gonna have to go like to we, we haven't had the, t- like the you're right we haven't had the chance to talk about xanthi much uh she's been in a couple things lately and she's been in some shows i really like i love her in alone in the sea and she gets some dramatic moments in there too but this her as memba this, this, you're right, this really is a hard execution of cute, but being genuine as well. I think Xanthi, god damn, nails it. Alright. Um, point? Lilac? Counterpoint. I don't know if I have a counterpoint for you. Uh, sorry, no, there, can we just agree there's probably no dissenters here in the group today? It's really hard it's to hard. dissent tonight. This it's is, really hard to dissent it. Cause I was hoping one of us would be like, you know, like the, the hypercritical person would say like, well, this is a, a nice deconstruction of childhood uh, mentality, but uh, actually, if you Well, were I mean, we're already talking, we've been talking I about- I make like, terrible jokes, but I still hours. have a fucking heart, okay? It, yeah, this, this kind of breaks through everyone's comfort barriers and says, no, you are a human, you have emotions, we yes. are going to make you feel stuff. Basa, you will feel stuff, you will cry, bitch. Here's, Do a bitch, here's cry. Here's the thing, though. Most of the show, I, it didn't actually make me cry. It made me feel a little. It didn't actually yeah. make me cry. The reason why, it's a build-up. It's not a big cry yes. moment here, there, everywhere. It's like, yes. it builds, it builds, it builds, it builds, and builds until you finally get to the letters. As soon as you got to the letters, because, like, my first watch, uh, yeah. as soon as, because every, like, everything, it's like, because here's the thing. Menma, you always assume it's like it's for Jintan or everybody's thinking because even Jintan's like, why am I only seeing her? Everybody's thinking, why is Jintan the only one who gets to see her? And that's the that's the cause of dissent and chaos. It's like, why is this girl I love only seeing Jintan? Why is this person that we all care about only for Jintan? And it's because the wish was she want his mom before dying asked to make him cry, which boy which did she? Which is a she... really cruel, cruel wish to have. 
I get what I, she's I, going for, but boy, yeah, her, it wasn't to it wasn't to I want you to make this my son suffer. It's I want you to let my son know it's okay to feel exactly. Emotions. And yes. boy, does he ever! And boy, does she make ever? Because here's the thing: at the end, like he he's thinking I want her to myself. Because he's thinking he wants everyone to help. But at the end, it's like I don't want her to go. I don't want her to leave me. And it's like, at the end, he realizes he's not the only one that feels that way. Everybody wants her to stay. Everybody cares about her. And the re the truth is, she cares about them all. So as soon as you get to the thing with the letters, oh man, I was gone. Like, at first it was like, she loves Suriko's kindness, Yukiatsu's hardworking nature, Popo's humor and how funny it is. She loves how Honoru's so reliable. And it, I was good until then. The one that okay. The one, that, dude. I think we all lost it by the one. What? No, yeah. The one that fucked Don't me up. Don't remind us. The one that fucked me up and destroyed me. Gene Tots. Can, can I just read what the letter said? Yes. <clears throat> Jintan, I love you. It's the kind of love that makes me want to be your wife. <clears throat> my, my heart. <sighs> I, and she put put a little smiling bunny sticker on the side. Okay, so yeah, the thing is, it's revealed Benma was also in love with Jintan too, which, and the the whole exchange with like, do you think we could have like been married or had a life together? And it's yes, yes, they could have. They could have. That would have been perfect. Oh. My God. Why did God not let that happen? Oh can, man! Can 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 I have so, words? Yes, you can use I'm words. Sorry, can I have words? Andrew, I love you, but can I have words? You can have <laughs> the words. I'm sorry. Okay, so my thing is with Zanthi is I think she's really cute as Memma, and you're right. She this is a character who never really got the chance to grow up. So, Menma has a lot of innocence and naivety to her that just, it, to some people it may come off as obnoxious, but for all intents and purposes of this character, Zanthi plays it very, very well. But, and I wrote this note very on, very, very early on, the true test of the, her performance is the final episode. Not just with the letters, but where she starts kind of disappearing from are you talking everyone's about what, view. Yeah, uh, like, are you talking about the part where she starts disappearing and she's talking to herself about it, or when Jintan discovers her? Can we talk about the dramatic um, parallel of her? No, no, we may not. Go ahead, and Lilac. We've been talking forever, Andrew. Stop it. Um, it's because I think. When she was noticing that she was disappearing. Okay. Because that's when her vocal performance started to shift a bit. To... From this happy-go-lucky... I wanna... I'm gonna stay with my friends forever. We're gonna try and get my wish granted. To... I still need a little bit more time. Yeah. There's still something I still need to do. Can you wait for me? I'm not I, ready yet. Finish. I'm not ready. Yes. And it keeps progressing and progressing to Jean Ton takes her to the secret base. All of a sudden, bam, he can't see her anymore. And she's just kind of there. But you can still hear her at the very least. 
and she's just telling them, we're playing hide-and-seek now. I'm not ready yet. We're playing hide-and-seek. Come find me. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> Damn it, Andrew. You're going to make me cry. I'm not ready it's... yet. Oh, my God. It's... I think I got all of us. That was the true test of Zanzi's performance because... Her performance as Memo was very consistent throughout as this innocent, cute girl who never got the chance to grow up, who just wants a wish granted, but she can't remember what it is. And then once she gets what she wanted, that's when she realizes, I don't want to leave yet. I still have something I need to do. I still want to see them at least one more time. And... Oh my god, I'm tearing up just thinking about this. Oh, it's... It really hits you hard when she's... Oh, it hits you hard when her performance then shifts to that final episode. And the letters and the hide-and-seek game and... Oh my god. Xanthi, thank you for playing this character. It's... It's su such a beautiful character, and it's so beautifully performed. I have nothing but high respect and high regard for this. Because it could have easily become that obnoxious character that people think Menma is. Yes. It could have easily done that. I never felt that at any point in time. All I Not saw was this little girl... Who never got the chance to grow up. And she's just doing what she can to help her friends be happy again. <laughs> while trying to achieve her wish. And her character progression and that performance was just outstanding. I'm done. I'm gonna I need my tissues. Hold on. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I, I, what do I have left to say on the whole I thing? I don't know. I, the, the only thing I can add is that um, uh, the standout part about her uh, her performance, I think, is the... Uh, is the uh, She has a bit of a ring in her voice. Uh, Xanthi has, like... I'm comparing her directly to um, other Moe superstars like Lucy Christian or Bryn April, who have you know their own distinct way to voice characters in that pitch. But Zin... Uh, sorry, Zin. Xanthi has a... Uh, like a bit of a, a ring in the back of her voice that it really stands out. Like it, it does convey the sense of not only is she uh, young in heart, but also young in vocal performance as well. So it, when we get down to all of the, the happier and the sadder moments, I buy all of it. it it's the voice of someone who is clearly has the innocence of a child. And it would not have been able to, like, believe any of it. Like, the emotional high points of this entire series would have been completely debunked if we didn't have that working in perfect synchrosity with all the other actors. Absolutely. Really well-directed, well-written. I, I... If you haven't seen this show yet, people, like, why are you watching us? Put the podcast down. Go enjoy the series. It yeah. needs to be experienced. It is something that's kind of important. Like, it fills a niche that almost no other series of modern time has quite been able to fill. I have a question. What's up? I have an answer. Would you say that this is something we could take to final thoughts? 
That's what I'm trying to transition to. I'm yeah, let's do as that. good a segue as you are, Andrew, but yes, we're transitioning over to Final Thoughts. So, um, who would do this? Um, Andrew, I know that you've got a lot of thoughts on the series. Can you tell us j just your final thoughts on the acting performances? I can be very quick to, on this, because there's a lot to say personally for everybody, but simply put, there is nothing bad in this dub. There is nothing bad from these performances. There is nothing that was bad or out of character in this script. Everything about this is superb, and this is one of those things I genuinely did not think I'd ever see happen, and I'm so glad it, it did. There's so many people to thank. Thank you, Patrick Seitz. Thank you, Anaplex. Thank you, Mari Okada, for making this happen. And thank you, Go90, for streaming this. Also, uh, just a heads up, by the way, a little thing. Turn closed captions on. Please turn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for pointing we out. We were going to have to bring that out at some point. If you want to watch the show, or fuck, if you're, you're already here, you've seen the show, but no, if you want to rewatch the dub at any point, please turn on the closed captions. Yeah, specifically if you're watching it on Go90's um, website or their app, because... It's um, pretty you, essential you, for those last yes, couple episodes. The closed captions, you would think that they're for the entirety of, like, it's subtitles all over again. It's actually not. It's for the signage and for the notes in particular. You're going to need those those captions on so that way you... Because you're just going to see the text and you're going to be like, why are they crying? It's just paper. Right, and, and predominantly because they find out pretty near the end of the show, which is really sad, that the only way that Menma can communicate through with the special, her, her personal diary is her diary writing on her diary okay. pages and holding but, it up to the but camera. But that's, that's, that's my thing. Pointly, simply put, wrapping it up, this is a show that's near and dear to my heart, one of my absolute favorites. This dub does it so much justice, probably elevates it even further. I'm done. Go. Thank you, Andrew. And I, I love you, man. I really not not like in an unironic sense, but like just the you're a wonderful person. Thank you for bearing your emotions on this dub. Same. Same to you, my friend. Lilac, my sister in arms, take it away. Oh boy. Oh god. There's There is no God. God is <laughs> There's no God. And we there have is killed no him. God. No, um, this show, it's kind of going back to what we were saying at the beginning. This show has a lot going on for it, and it's an emotional roller coaster ride. And if there was one small misstep with the dub, it could throw the whole thing off. And thankfully, that did not happen. This. This English dub here is absolutely phenomenal. I dare I say almost perfect, even. I hate using the word perfect. <laughs> but it comes we very reserve close. It. it comes we reserve it? so close. Only the best of the best. But the the direction and the writing is phenomenal. These performances if you if you don't at least feel for one of these characters then you probably didn't get the point of the show and the content. Well, I mean, uh, there are going to be some people who don't um right. who don't this doesn't resonate with them. Right. I mean, and that's okay. Like if you can at least resonate with one person in the show cuz like cuz clearly 
you two resonated with Popo. Meanwhile, here I am with Yuki Atsu. And, like, I I resonated with both of these characters, to be honest. Like, yeah, everybody had a story. You, yeah, everyone mm. had a story, but you felt the most with a certain character. And there's a lot of emotion and drive and compassion put behind this show for a story that is very complex. This is an amazing dub to go with it. If you, it's probably one of, if not the best that I've seen this year, bar none. And in a year with so many unusual yes. decisions for things to license and dub, that's saying yeah. quite a bit. All right. Yeah. And if you have not seen this show yet or the dub, we just spoiled the whole fucking thing. Your your own fault. Well, yeah, I mean, it, but... You can marathon this thing in an yeah, afternoon. I marathoned it in one day. But if you haven't seen this show or the English dub yet, you absolutely have to. There is... I know we've had the whole damn you Aniplex, fuck you Aniplex problems before. It's on a site that is easily accessible and you don't have to pay a subscription for it. You have no excuse to not go and see this show. There is absolutely no reason why you can't see this show right now. So well, go and see it because it's well, amazing. Well, if I can take the, the reins on this, I can. Go you, ahead. I can actually list one reason why you may not want to watch this show, and that would simply be because it may be a little too raw for some people. And okay, yes, fair. Ho hopefully, um, most of you. Uh, I'm hoping all of you have never experienced the loss of a friend or, um, God forbid, a younger relative as well because that strikes really close to you. Even those of you who think that you have, like, I can deal with it, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm calm and cool as a cucumber, that's not gonna phase me. There, everyone has a breaking point. And even if you find uh, therapeutic ways to mask it or cope with it in ways that you think are adult, there is nothing immature about bearing your emotions and letting yourself cry and feel something. Whatever you may think about the rest of the world's perception of someone who has an emotional response to not even just death, but uh, loss of friendship, which is a big thing that this series struck me with. Like, I first watched a show back when it was in simulcast back in 2011, and that was when I was in college. And it struck me because it reminded me of, you know, I have some friends who I haven't talked to in a while. We just fell out of communication. I feel a bit sad about those friendships that have been lost. Good times were had back then, but I kind of feel sorry that those uh, we fell out of communication. Now, uh, six years later, it strikes me in a completely different way because no one should have to lose a child. No one should have to go through the pain of watching their child be born from nine months to being developed, watching them come out, and then having to almost immediately afterwards have to say goodbye to them it will strike you in a way that no one should have to go through at all. This series is by no means a substitute for that, but it is a good way, it's a good condensement of, of admitting that we all are humans with emotions that need to be, you have to grieve. You have got to grieve in a way that is, is healthy or else you will be stunted like these characters are. It's an example of everyone will fail to move forward. And if you're going to move forward, well, no ghost is going to come back and is going to help you move forward exactly, but maybe in a series like this, you will find the the drive to think to yourself, I need to move on with my life 
and I need to properly grieve anything wrong, anything bad that's happened. God bless Patrick Seitz's team for taking it upon themselves to dub this five, six years after it came out. This came out better than I thought it would. I legitimately did not think that the dramatic moments on it would work as well in English. They pulled through in the clutch and really put something special together. Thank you guys. Cannot ask for anything better on this, which is probably the best thing that we can say about an English dub. Yeah. Jarrett. So, group hug. Jarrett, you're a good man, and I'm glad you were on this with me. I'm, I'm glad you both were here as well. Oh. So, so much feels and emotion. Can we just give this dub a round of applause, please? Hey. Can we? Can we? Because this is... This is the first time we're doing this, but, like, seriously, this, uh, uh I want to go to bed. The has no breaks. Uh, Can I go to bed, so, too? All the it's already midnight. We, we, no, 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 not yet, Andrew. We have to send, we have to send our fine viewers off who've gotten this far into the podcast off with a bang. And, um, if you've gotten this far, um, uh, but if you've gotten this far into the podcast, the code word to put into the comments section is forget me not. God damn you with your code words right now. <laughs> you I, did this I, during I Food like Wars. I feel like if you've gotten, if you've listened far enough in an episode, you need, like, some sort of reward to say, like, you, you did it. I mean, so you're not for, wrong. But anyway, where, you, where, where can these fine folks find this show? Well, it's not like uh, we haven't been saying it throughout the entire episode, but well, if you say. missed it in the past 300 plugs, Anohana is available in dub for free on Go90.com. It's this new uh, streaming application that has... A couple of different um, Aniplex series, almost all of them in dubs, actually. A lot of other series have live-action series, too, but we're not going to talk about those. And, like I said, you do not actually have to pay for anything on this one. I don't quite know what their deal is or why it's available in this way, but for the time being, the time we're recording, you can watch all the shows on Go90.com for free. Go out and enjoy those. Or if you want to watch this in the original subtitles, we have... Uh, been blessed to have the series re-added back to crunchyroll.com after it was taken off about a year ago now it's back on just again. be warned there's a major difference between 480p quality from six seven years ago to current <laughs> 1080p quality oh also i have one more warning yeah. about watching anohana on go 90 and it's this i had just finished off the emotional high that was that climax and oh was my finally oh my God, you said this and earlier. was finally coming down from the emotional roller coaster that was this let me say this autoplay on go 90 is fast it takes five seconds before the next thing plays so i was thinking maybe it's gonna go back to the menu as soon as i'm done with anohana nope. as soon as the credits finish for anohana i'm finally breathing a sigh of relief what's coming up next on go 90 the first episode to Arrow Manga Sensei. <laughs> I just finished the emotional roller coaster of a goddamn life, and then it's like, hey, you know what you need? Emoto tees. <laughs> you think they planned that? Not today, oh. Satan. Not today. <laughs> I noped out of there so hard. No, that is not an actual warning about the service. It was just the, the emotional whiplash of going from the climax to Anohana to the show trying to force me to watch Arrow Manga Sensei I thought was funny. 
Continue and, on. Thank and, you for pointing and, that out. I wanted to bring also, that up. Yeah. Thank you. That happened to me, too. I, I, I'm glad you warned me ahead of time because I hadn't watched the final episode. And then I looked down at what was coming up next. I'm like, i got to make sure to pause the <laughs> click off the screen before that happens. And then, and then um, there is a physical release of Anohana 2, correct? It is out well, on DVD. Is, but it... Well, hold on a second, because um, at the time of recording, there has not been a physical release of the dub, I don't think. It literally just no, came out is... on Halloween. It came out, okay. yeah. Oh, it was, okay, thank you. So, Aniplex did put this out in dub on Blu-ray very recently, so if you'd like to own a physical copy of this for your illustrious DVD and Blu-ray collection, you can go out and find it. By the way, that'd be a really good Christmas present. Here's my address. I ain't getting you any fucking shit. Okay, so, what about us? <laughs> Who are we? So. What up? Andrew, I get, stop telling me how to dictate the order of what's gonna go I'm out. tired and cranky, okay? I'm about to say, no, it's midnight. Let's just, just finish. <laughs> All right, well, uh, uh, cranky Andrew, uh, can you tell us where the fine listeners <laughs> nice. can find you in a better mood? Uh, when I'm in a better mood, uh, you can find me over on Twitter at MangaMan9000, where I talk about anime and memes and dogs and shit, and I also do this. Thank you very much. We're glad that you do this. Uh, Lilac, do you do anything in the World Wide Web? I do a lot of things, but I mostly work. Uh, my name is Stephanie. I am also known as Lilac on the weird interwebs. Um, when I am not acting as the host wrangler of the group, I have my own Twitter account at Lilac Anime Review. Uh, with review being sold as a musical review and not a standard review, where I basically just post about how boring my life is generally <laughs> let's face it i have no life i am like slightly jintan because i am a hermit <laughs> we are your life we yes. are your entire existence i i am a, i'm a mix of a hermit and a workaholic and that terrifies me i'm trying to change that though uh but yeah twitter is mostly where you can find anything human anything that i'm doing uh during that day thank you and I am Noah Clue, the illustrious host of this episode, who also has his own Twitter account, which is, if you can guess it, at Noah Clue. Um, that is the section where, uh, if I have an opinion about the Academy Awards not nominating the right films for the Best Anime Film of the Year Award, or talking about uh, Cartoon Brew's latest article that uh, misrepresents the people that they interviewed, or what have you, that's where I will be ranting about that. Or I will also be posting pictures of my children, Oliver and Ruby, because when you have cute children, you get to post videos of that for everyone else to see. For my birthday, Noah also... sent me a little video of him and Ollie singing happy birthday. It was adorable. I loved it. I'm like, ah! You're welcome. And we even went into the cupboard and found a lilac-colored candle for that. I did not know there was a lilac-colored candle. Oh, oh shit. That's so, that makes it that's even better. That's so extra. I love it. That is amazing. Little, uh, yeah. I love you. <laughs> we, we are we're classy and hype. Um, what's more for? We're high-budget around here. Um, <laughs> also, I almost forgot to point out, I also have a YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash journeytraveler, which I haven't been updating in the past. But I am in the process right now of working on a big video project to basically take the long hours I spent watching all of the fall anime and turning it into something actually entertaining. So hopefully look forward to that. 
And as for this particular podcast you are listening to, you are watching the Dub Talk Podcast, which is found on YouTube at this channel that you are currently watching it at. Although if you're watching this on someone else's channel that's not Dub Talk, please report that. We need to have words with that person. We actually had that happen not too long ago. We got that taken down. Yeah, thankfully. That was weird. Um, Lilac, I'm sorry, can you refresh my memory about uh, some of the other social media feeds? Because I don't follow all of them. Alright, aside from YouTube, we also have a Twitter account at DubTuck Podcast. We also have an Instagram page, DubTuck Podcast, and a Tumblr account. Though, the last two, we should probably do better at updating. We, 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 if you want to keep a regular updates, go to our Twitter. Yeah, Twitter is the best way to keep updated with what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but hopefully we can add more stuff to Instagram and Tumblr. <laughs> Some of us are, like like Lilac said, we're workaholics. All yes. Right. And with that, I think we can um, end this barbecue at the secret base and finally go home and move on with our lives. Mm-hmm. So, on behalf of myself, Andrew, and Lilac, thank you all very much. Have a wonderful night, and... Otaku on, my friends. Otaku on, my friends. And remember, the Dub Talk podcast will always be friends forever. Now take it away with the ending theme song, Andrew. I'm just going to cry in a corner now. Oh, God. The lyrics on that are really sad. If you By the way, you want a fun fact? Here's a fun fact quickly. Um... Uh, the original song was actually done in 2001 by a girl rock band called Zone. The reason the song itself is called Secret Base 10 years after is actually because that is the 10th anniversary of that song in the year 2011, sung by the Seiyus. Because I always thought it was 10 years in the show, but it was actually 5. So that's where that yeah, comes that from. Yeah, that threw me off. You're right, you're right. So thank you for explaining why it's 10 years uh, is the song. But God, it's one of my favorite anime ending scenes. Good night, everybody. Let's listen to that shit. Raining flowers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go cry. Good night. Sadness fiesta. We'll meet again in August. It's okay.